Hey everybody, we're back. It's season six time, and there's so much to discuss. We're very excited to be back with you all for season six. And we know there's so many different reviews out there, so many different people covering Game of Thrones, so we appreciate that you've come to us. Whether we're the only one you watch or whether we're one of many, it's great that you chose to spend this time with us. For those who have not watched our season reviews prior to this or are new to History of Westeros podcast in general, quick introduction. I'm Aziz. This is Sean. Hello, everybody. Sean of House Beard. My beard is, is pitiful compared to his. I, I'm man enough to admit that. You're too hard on yourself. <laughs> but the fun stuff is here. I've read the books. I've read the books many times. I've read them started in 2001. Sean has not read them, so we have a different perspective. I am... Constantly expecting the show to touch on book plot lines, and sometimes they don't. Quite often they don't, and that leads me astray sometimes. So, having a perspective of a non-book reader gives us a good balance, I think. It's worked out for us in the past. People who are familiar with our show, those of you who are returning viewers, I'm sure you agree. Or else you probably wouldn't be here watching us again. <laughs> and if you ha want to check out some of our earlier reviews, we did a postseason, or rather a preseason uh, predictions and trailer analysis for season six and you can go back and check that out and see how good or badly we did with some of our guesses also our review at the end of season five we did some of the same things and that information and material was fresher in our minds at the time although we did go back and watch season five again before the season started so that's very valuable as well more stuff you can go back and check on us and see how we did grade us on our predictions or just check it out for the heck of it in any case Welcome back. We are History of Westeros, and we're excited for Season 6. So, without any further ado, let's get started. But one quick thing. At the end of this episode, we're going to have some credits, as we always do. At the, after the credits, we're going to discuss what's in the trailer for Episode 2. So we're going to keep the spoilery stuff out of that until the end. So if you don't want to hear about our trailer analysis, which might be slightly spoiler, spoilery, then just quit after the credits and don't listen after that. But if you want to hear that breakdown of, of our analysis for what we expect next week based on those, you know, coming up next on Game of Thrones, then stick around for that. Okay. It'll be a three-hour discussion. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> speaking of uh, speaking of other people doing reviews of Game of Thrones, it's obviously a huge show. It's HBO's biggest show of all time. So it's no surprise a lot of people are covering it. It's a sensation and it's a big part of pop culture. But... I honestly don't understand how people can do these 10, 20-minute reviews. I mean, that's fine to break it down and just, just hit the high points. This is the basics of what happened, and that's... But really, how can you cover a show? I just don't get it. We, <laughs> we, we talk about this stuff for hours on hours, and it still doesn't feel like enough sometimes. So if you're one of the people that, you know, prefers a, a quick just run-through, well, this is not the channel for you. But if you like to get deep, deep into the material, if you really want to analyze it and nerd out and geek out with all the details... Stay here. We are in the right place. You've found... You're among friends. Which podcast can you jock out? <laughs> nerd out. Right. You jock out and rock out. Yeah, you know. <laughs> There's got to be some sort of sports Game of Thrones channel out there. I don't know. Anyway. All right, so the episode... We'll start where the episode starts. We'll kind of follow along. The, the episode was fairly tight in its location changes. I thought that it moved well from scene to scene pretty well, and it didn't jump around a lot. So we can kind of flow the way the episode flowed. So we'll start with John at the Wall. Makes sense they would start there, leaving things off the way they ended at the end of last season with John stabbing. Might as well 
pick up right where they left off and, and follow along. What were your thoughts on how they set that scene up? Were you surprised? Were you expecting to go right back there? Or you thought maybe that we'd start somewhere else? I think that shows typically don't pick up even episode to episode, much less season to season, right at a moment that was left off. Uh, but somehow I, I thought that they should for this one. You know, the, the, it was one of the most... Uh, uh, I don't know if cliffhanger is quite the right word here. I've talked about this a little bit before about how some cliffhangers are uh, where some sort of climactic or anticipated moment will happen or an unexpected moment will happen and then the episode will end leaving you to wonder where this storyline is going to go now. How is this person going to figure out what to do? How are you going to explain it to your wife that walked in on you or whatever? Or what are they <laughs> going to do? And a lot of times they will like skip forward and you don't get to see that tough conversation you've seen to scene much less episode episode you see the result season. yeah or maybe right. you see a flashback later or but uh some cliffhangers are more like in the next three seconds someone is gonna die or not die not like what's gonna happen over the next three weeks or the next you know conversation or how is someone gonna manage their anger but is someone gonna die in the next sec the, the cliffhanger the hand slipping off the rock you know um so it's pretty clear John's dead. You know, it's not quite, cliffhanger isn't quite the right word. It's a lot of blood. <laughs> it does kind of leave you wondering where are things going at the wall now, you know. Uh, but a little more specifically, they kind of did it in the night. Seemed to be maybe not secret. They try to get the key people involved. But someone's got to walk out and see the dead body or hide the body. I think they, they do want to know purpose. how it's going to play out. I think know? they wanted to leave the body on purpose to make a statement. They, they weren't yeah. trying to hide it. I mean, Alistair, they were like, who did this? And he, he just... I, I did. did it, yeah. Yeah, I mean, they weren't trying to hide anything. They weren't trying to conceal anything. I think they, I don't think they thought much of just a body lying there. They they, they they put the traitor sign there, and I think they wanted people to see that. And just so it was clear why they did it. So it would be kind of break things in and be like, okay, once once people confront them about it, they already kind of know what the deal is. Like, well, they killed him because he's a traitor. It's like, what do you mean he was a traitor? Well, I think it's pretty clear why some of the Night's Watch would see him as a traitor. And I think... This is, I think this was a good, uh, uh, there are a lot of high points in this episode. There's some low points as well. We're, as usual, we will be critical where we need to. We'll try to focus on the good. I prefer that, and I think a lot of you guys do as well. But we're not going to shy away from being critical where it's deserved. We just won't linger on it too much. I'm a fan of the show, and and I try to be a positive person. However, I have high standards. There's a lot of shows to watch. There's a lot of great film and experience in the industry, and I kind of expect it to be good. And when, when they mess up, I'm like, I'm... If, it's, if this is just some random show and they did a poor job, I wouldn't care. I'm not even watching the show. But this is a great show. This is a huge cast, a huge production, a, a, an epic story. And they've done so great with so much of it, it's a little extra frustrating when, yeah. they, when they get something wrong. You know, I agree. That's a good reason to temper our criticisms as well as our praise because you're right. The expectations are high, which means the criticism is going to be high. People are going to yeah. be nitpicking, especially with a lot of book readers out there. By the way, we have a book, a version of this episode for book readers with a different group of us will be out every Wednesday this season. So if you are a book reader and you prefer that style analysis, comparing things to the books, watch out for our reviews on Wednesdays. Anyway, it's true though. Like you say, there's lots of good TV out there. And this show is so popular that, yeah, they do have to be held to a high standard. Everything they do is put under a microscope. The criticisms are magnified. The praise is magnified. The hype is magnified. Mm -hmm. 
everything is put under a microscope, and that's just what we're dealing with. That's Game of Thrones. That's what it is. That's what it's become. It wasn't like that at the beginning, although it did even when it was new. It had a lot of hype and fanfare because of the, the size of the production, the popularity of the books, and all that. And which started course, off with more than most shows would. Yeah, that's true. They they and of course HBO's changed how they do things. Back in you know ten years ago, they they were less committed to shows that they've made. They were more willing to drop them without resolution. Now they just set out to, you know, they're not going to do that anymore. They realize they leave audiences hanging. And it creates a, you know, it's, it's not a good thing to do, to, to treat an audience that way, to leave a show hanging. So even, so they're more committed. Now this, of course, that's hardly an issue with Game of Thrones. It's so popular that odds of, of it falling off to the point where they have to drop the budget and all that seem very small at this point, especially considering we're not that far from the ending, so to speak, relatively. It's still seasons away, but... I have a few friends who might complain, you know, like, oh, the Sand Snakes, the Dorn stuff, or oh, they, I'm upset that in a book this or that happened, or oh, that action scene was so lame. By the way, I've said a lot of these things myself, yet keep watching it. Keep watching it. <laughs> yeah, like it's not, I mean, we, we had a bunch of friends over. It was, it was an event. You know, we weren't, it was not even remotely an option to not watch it. Yeah. <laughs> as much as there, even with, with several things to complain about, there was, it was not going to happen. There's a lot, a lot of book readers have given up on the show, and I respect that. But it's not, it's not me. I, I prefer to watch. I, I think there's plenty to take out of the show, even if the, maybe some of the plot lines are weaker or whatever. It's beautiful. Like, the scenery in this episode yeah, was yeah. awesome. And that's one of the things you can really tell is the difference from, scene, from season one, two, three, four, five. The budget's gotten bigger, and it shows in shots like that. There were so many beautiful location shots. The music was really powerful, I thought. It adds a lot to things. It made some of the scenes really emotional or creepy or just... Had you on the edge of your seat. I took note of Melisandre's thing, by the way. It occurred to me that she's had it in the past, but yeah. it was really featured and gave a certain tone to her scenes. We'll certainly talk about that scene when we get to it because it's the end, but just for now, that that was creepy. Yeah. It was like it felt like a horror film scene almost. Anyway, okay, let's get back to John. What did you think of Sir? I thought Sir Alistair's speech was really good. I thought he presented it really well. It was kind of an honorable way to, to go about it. It's like, yeah, we're traitors, but... You know, we had the best reason possible for being traitors, and it seemed to kind of work. Like, the people that were yelling and angry, they calmed down a bit. It, maybe it was because they realized they were so outnumbered, or maybe they were convinced by the argument. Yeah, some of John's supporters weren't there, right? True. The, if they had been there, it might have been more contentious. It might have been more... Might have gotten ugly. Alistair, yeah. Might, yeah. But they had... It seemed like he kind of got them in hand a bit. Maybe there's still some resentment. Maybe some of them will switch sides if it really comes to violence. Maybe yeah. some of them will end up siding with Ed's group but what did you okay putting yourself in the perspective of sir alistair what did you think of his argument what do you think of his point like not setting aside any like you have for john if that's possible putting yourself in sir alistair's place and the other brothers does he seem like a traitor not that killing him necessarily was the right move but did you think what do you do you, do you uh, agree at least on some level that they were that he that his actions would destroy the watch that's what john that's, that's the way alistair put it. he said they, he gave us a choice you know, we took it. But the choice was, you know, and he says, he's like, John, I believe that John really thought he was doing the right thing. So he's kind of giving, uh, throwing a bone to John's support, saying, look, I think he was an honorable guy, but, but yeah. ultimately he was going to ruin us. Which was smart politically on Alistair's part to at least, you know, recognize he's not there to just talk down on John or kill him because he's mad or didn't, I should have been the one, you know, it was like, look, you understand, this is a big thing. This is a historical moment, you know. And so I, on one hand, I, trying to relate to him and trying to understand him and I, th I guess he did an okay job but I, I still have a lot of issues to take with it and uh, 
one, it's a little ironic to me that he can kill the Lord Commander and then talk about how loyalty is the foundation. Like, <laughs> yeah, that was uh, kind of funny. He's like, isn't stabbing the Lord Commander against the rules? <laughs> and now, on some level, maybe he means loyalty to the Night's Watch, Watch. I think and that's not what necessarily means, yeah. the Commander, although it seems like that should be part of it. And he said he never broke a command and, like, trying to decide, is that... Part of the vows. This is in the rules. You shouldn't that be in the rules. Don't stab the Lord Commander. Do I need to actively give the order? Don't kill the Lord Commander. Don't kill me. If if he had, if John said, "Oh, by the way, Alistair, don't kill me," then I was like, "Oh shoot, whole plan's ruined." You know what would they have done then? (laughs) Or was he just going to do it anyway? And he's not really that loyal. And just like the thing is, I kind of just notice in a world people who even someone who thinks they're a law-abiding citizen or an honest Christian or whatever. The fact is, you pick and choose. Everyone speeds. No one just drives exactly at 55 going. Everyone kind of picks and chooses what they think is correct. You know what I mean? He might use guidelines, the structure of the society or religion or what you think you can the get night's away wash with. or yeah. whatever, whether or not you think it'll be caught or whether you think it really matters. Or, uh, But sometimes some people try to be more pure, have more integrity. Even John couldn't do it. John broke his vows too. John also, et cetera, right. et cetera. Uh, what's, that was a good scene there with... Later on with uh, Marjorie, you know, none of us are, right? <laughs> yeah, but, that's uh, true. Yeah, yeah, good point. Marjorie. But Alistair's at least explaining why he did it, and he's and, and he has, you know, when we were watching it, one of our friends said something like, how do they know it? By the way, it's killing me. I can't remember the name of the kid. Ollie. Ollie, yeah, you know. <laughs> uh, someone, someone said, you know, how can, they've seen, they've seen these walkers, they know the danger, how can they, like, just blow this off and kill John and not, and I point out, well... They also saw wildlings kill their families. They also they saw two different things, and one's a little bit more deep ingrained, and one's a little more close by. The wildlings are there, immediate, yeah. you know. So they they may uh, some of the brothers may still think the wall is going to stop the others, the White Walkers. Yeah, they that's might. not. They're like, yeah, it's a problem. We're worried about the White Walkers. We're worried about the undead. But we still have the wall, whereas the wildlings are right here on our side of the wall. They're the yeah. more clear and present danger, and that's they might be wrong. But given the information they have, we are, you know, as viewers, we know more than they do. And it's given the information they have, I'm not so sure that they're entirely wrong to feel that way. I don't, not that I would have, you know, been supportive of them assassinating the Lord Commander. But I think they kind of have a point. I think they took the point too far. But I do think that they're not entirely, it's, it's certainly not just a power grab. You know, it's not, right. I don't think Alistair is just like, I don't like his Lord, I don't like him as Lord Commander, I'm going to take over. I don't think he would have been able to sell that to the other brothers. And you can see some of them were kind of ashamed when he when he said he did it. And he's like, Otho Yarwick yeah. did it. Bowen Marsh did it. You know, we all did it. And they, they, were, they were kind of like hanging their heads a little. Yeah. They were a little ashamed. But A lot of times you have to do you have to choose between two things that are both bad, but you have to do one of them. And Yeah. Like, uh, like Alistair said, he gave us a choice, and we took it. You know, yeah. we, we had to do it. It was a tough choice. Here's another problem that I have, though. Alistair, I don't... I think it's a debatable point, some of the things Alistair said. And, of course, when he's kind of taking charge and making his argument and it's a moment of potential violence and you're probably outnumbered it's hard for someone to argue the other side and later on someone might argue the other side when they're in a better position just like when john took over and made his decision everyone didn't agree with it but they kind of couldn't do anything about it until that's later true. on they found him <laughs> to do something about alice might get himself killed it's a precedent has been set but uh what i mean to say is that alistair's argument was that John's going to ruin us. The decisions he's making, we're not, are we really traitors because we're loyal to the watch and John's ruining the watch? You know, maybe he's a traitor. Maybe we're saving the watch. Maybe we're not, you know, maybe, or maybe, maybe we he's justify just a bigger our, traitor than we are. Right, maybe we can justify our treachery because we, he's going to ruin what we are. So, all right, what are you? That's what you have to ask, I think. And I think that Alistair and many of the wall 
and probably most people think that the wall's there to protect from the wildlings. And so am I saying, so, ooh, eh, monsters, but everyone eats you know, Monsters, come on, give me a break. We're here to fight the wildlings. That's what we're here for. Now there happen to be monsters. We know it. And now they know it too. And if John's idea is to protect the realm of men, right? Uh, in fact, Davos even tried to use that to, to kind of twist the word. Kind of Sam tried to twist the words of the vow to make John feel okay with a sleeping with another <laughs> woman. Davos tried to twist the words of the vow to make it okay for him to to go fight at Winterfell. You know, you're protecting the realms of men. And, well, John twisted the words to the vow to. Well, maybe he didn't twist it, but what His everyone is currently different. interpreting, yeah. right, is stop the wildlings. But he's like, hold on, it's not just the wildlings, it's the realms of men. There's men and women and children on the other side of this wall. I need to save them. That's what the Watch is supposed to be doing. Yeah. And so that's where, that's the thing that Alistair isn't quite addressing or even self-aware of um, that true. I take it, issue with. And I don't know how many other of these, like illiterate, you know, brainwashed, you know, they, uh, cri- criminals aren't necessarily <laughs> going to go through this intellectual thought process of defining who we are, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, it's a Fuck little too... Fuck the wildlings, you know? <laughs> okay, so a couple other thoughts about this scene, though. There's other angles to look at this. A few people wonder why Davos cares about Jon at all. Why is Davos getting involved in this? Why is he putting himself in danger for Jon Snow? I've got an answer for that. Maybe you've got a different take. But I think it's because John is a lot like Stannis. And Davos followed Stannis because he had a sense of justice, because he put the realm first, and because he was honorable. And I think Davos recognizes that in John. John's the same kind of guy. He, he, just like Stannis, John was willing to do really unpopular things in order because he thought they were the right thing to do. And, of course, this unpopular thing got him killed. Whereas Stannis being a king, it's a little... It's, it's, it's a harder thing to kill a king, for one thing, and it's a bigger deal to kill a king. There's kind of a superstition, a yeah. religious thing about just slaying kings, whereas John is just, you know, an, up, an up-jumped bastard by some of their standards. And, of course, not that it stops Stannis from being killed, but it's a different, it's a different kind of ball game. And I don't know, what did you think of that? What did you think of Davos and, and John? Did that occur to you at all, or was that just kind of a natural thing? I didn't think of it very actively, but I... As I think about it, it is weird for him to just be defaulted to John's side. Um, he also did seem to show a, a, an air of respect to Alistair Thorne, too. Um, yeah. And some suspicion, too. <laughs> but uh, it occurred to me that it might... My, where my thoughts were is that he might just be associated with John. The, the, the people on the wall might just be associating, you know, here comes the king and the king's henchmen, and they're all buddy-buddy with John. Well, we're gonna kill him now. The king's gone. We're against John. Here comes the king's buddy, buddy guy, buddying up to John. Like he might not necessarily want to or need to support John, who's dead anyway. But he might not have. He, the other people might have just sort of decided he's on that side. He's in the room with the body and John's other supporters. Um, no, that doesn't mean he wouldn't support John, even though he's dead. What you're saying <laughs> makes sense. Uh, yeah, just a, he's the guy to follow. He was the Lord Commander. He thinks that what happened was wrong. Je- that was his yeah. sense of justice himself, and he's yeah. like, well, this was wrong, what these guys did. They killed As I think Lord about Commander. it, that's kind of more what I yeah. think, is that he's in a room with the people who think what happened was wrong. And they may have a bias, because this was their friend. Davos has less of a bias, but still feels like it was wrong. And yeah. he's in a room with these people, so they're on one side and everyone else is on the other. He also just has nothing to do. His king is dead, and he's like masterless, Wait, landless. does he What's know? 
Does yeah. he know his king's dead? Yeah, Melisandre came back and, and, and described what happened. And she was like, and he's like, Stannis? And he's like, she's just bad yeah. dead. She's like, yeah, he's gone. I, I, I mean, she doesn't, he doesn't have proof, but he was told, and he has no reason to doubt yeah. it. He may have some hope, I guess. But. And there's also no news has come back or anything. You know, there's probably going to be some sort of news coming up to confirm it. But yeah, he's pretty much on his own now. <laughs> and that's kind of an interesting thing for him. Now, what about Dolorous Ed and his... He's clearly going after to find the wildlings to bring them. Personally, I think he's going to be successful. I think that's what's going to save these guys. I don't think they're all just going to get slaughtered. I don't think Davos dies here. Well, but it could. It could yeah. happen. I don't think Davos dies here, although I, I'm i curious about how it's going to go down the road. We're going to start intertwining storylines, but uh, I, I just wonder where where things will go. Where, where, you know. Here's Okay, here's the thought that I have. So the at the wall, they, they decide, John let the wildlings through, so we have to kill John. Okay, there, we kill John. Now, there's still all these wildlings that we let through. Like, if that's really our concern, he's mad because John gave him that land, or they... They can't go to, there's like 40 of them. They can't just go take out thousands of wildlings. Like, they're still, even if the wildlings aren't actively coming after them in Castle Black, it seems like you're, you're still don't have your, your mission that you're trying to stick to, this yeah. idea of who you are on the watch. It's, it's almost too done. late. Yeah. He's like, yeah, it's why, like, why kill John, John is giving them the land. Well, no, he already gave yeah, them Yeah, the they're already through. They already, they already got it. the land. And I just, that's another thing that, I don't know what they think their next step is. I, I don't uh, think they perceive the threat of the wildlings being mad about John's death. I think they thought that the wildlings are a threat, period. What they did to John or didn't do to John isn't going to matter. But they're not going to be able to deal with the threat. They are worried that eventually the wildlings are going to kill them. And as long as John's in the way, they're never going to be able to stop that. Yeah. This gives them a chance. They're still outnumbered. They're still in a bad spot. But this gives them a chance because with, with the leader who was not going to who's going to treat those people as allies when to them it's a knife at their throat at least to Alistair and his the people that agreed with him. So I think that t from their perspective they're not uh, they're not really any worse than they were off. They're still in great danger and they were in great danger before. But now at least they have leadership that agrees with what needs to be done, <laughs> whether right so, or not. They're they're on the path that they think is better. So it, what it's do we rock in a hard place kind of situation? What do we think is going to happen when? Ed goes, gets the wildlings, and come back. Is he trying to get, like, a commando team to break him out of that room? No, I think the wildlings... Is he trying to get an army are... to take over the wall? Yeah, I Is think that's what's going to happen. Like, I uh, think they're going to... Are the wildlings going to become the new watch? They command that wall. They command all the castles. It's true. If uh, if they are... I mean, they are they know more than anyone how... I mean, they're not going to take the black. They're not going to take the oath. But they might... I mean, a few of them might. But Maybe in the future, instead of taking the black, you take the wildling. <laughs> <laughs> Take the stone axe of, of dedication, whatever. They'll make up some sort of clever name for it. But no, I do think that some of them will probably agree that the, what needs to be done is to fight the White Walkers and that the wall is a good place to do that. What they'll never, I don't know if they'll ever get along with the Night's Watch. Maybe some of them they will, like they did with John, they grudging respect for him. But this is such an ancient, deadly rivalry that's really hard for them to accept. John is a little different that he was able to. Set that aside for the greater good, but too many other people were just, those, their beliefs were their beliefs. It wasn't going to change just because John said John so. was able because, was because he just had new information. As ancient and ingrained as these beliefs are, this, this uh, zombie threat is as new and as powerful as anything to make you change how you think. You know? Yeah, so. that's true. But, some of the, but a lot, to be fair, a lot of the brothers still haven't been really faced with it. 
Right, that's very true. Yes, most of them, not that many of them, went to Hard Home, and not that many of them even have seen. Uh, a lot of them have seen the whites, but the actual walkers yeah. they haven't seen. And so, and, and again, and, uh, the and wall seems like that would be enough. I and think. most of the ones that went to Hard Home, I, th- I don't know how specifically true this is, but in my mind, they're the ones that were supporting this plan in the first place. Yeah, and one of them was so, Ed, and a lot of them died, and right. yes, Ed's obviously <clears throat> on John's side. Okay, let's talk about Melisandre, and then we'll move on from the wall. Melisandre, of course, the first thing she sees is John's dead body, and we get a little for what's probably foreshadowing. If, if you're like me, you expect John to come back, and she says, I saw him fighting at Winterfell, you know, in, in the flames. Like, yeah, you probably didn't. You probably weren't wrong. You probably will still see that. But something's got to have to happen first, obviously. He's not just going to wake up. <laughs> you know, one thing that I thought might happen, I thought it's unlikely, I think the default theory that John's Melisandre's going to bring John back is probably what's going to happen. But I was hoping, hoping they were going to burn his body. <laughs> now okay well with melisandre though now we can we can stay in this area even though this scene was at the end i still want to talk about it because we're, we're gonna we want to stay in this place and cover all cover each <clears throat> region one at a time and not jump around too much you don't want to leave the viewers with that image on your mind <laughs> so melisandre as long suspected much older than her, than she appears that was Either, but not only suspected, but sort of confirmed by some interviews prior to that. Anyone who's read the books also kind of suspected that or believed it completely, myself included. But being confronted with it visually was really something. I, I was really, I thought that scene was really creepy. It was like a horror film in a lot of ways, and I really liked it. The music was good. Some people maybe didn't like that she didn't like that she had to take all her clothes off again. We've seen that a lot of times. I didn't mind that. I thought it was a little more powerful that way because you, she's just. It's a bit of ritualistic. She's like, yeah. she's, she's basically feels like everything she's done is wrong. She's been a zealot for maybe a hundred years. She's been believing this. And she finally find, found the person that's the savior she thought. And that savior is dead. She was wrong. She's wrong about Jon Snow. She's just starting to question everything. And she never questioned anything before. She was, she was the most certain character there is. The most confident character in the entire storyline, I think. With maybe no exceptions at all. I mean, maybe there's a few that are close, but Melisandre was... No one had more confidence and certainty than her, pretty much. And now it's just all falling apart. And so her, she's stripping all her gear off. This is like, this is what she's left. This is what I really am. And she's losing her faith. And I thought that gave it a little more power. What did you think? What was your interpretation of that scene? Uh, I had a lot of thoughts. I, I wanted, I'm thinking about what you're saying about her level of confidence. And it, it may be true, but I'm just... I'm kind of scrolling through. I, I think it's more her faith than her confidence. Because I feel like... Uh, Aren't those two kind of connected, though? They are kind of connected, but I think that confidence... I think a difference is faith is a little bit more like a leap. You just believe this thing. You don't necessarily have evidence or something to support it. Okay. Whereas confidence might come from you know not certainty of knowledge. It may, it could, both could come from many areas. But I'm you know, just thinking about, for example, Ned. Ned was pretty confident, pretty much all the way. Even when he's wrong, or even when things are falling down, he stayed confident. And I feel like Cersei stays pretty confident, too. But they both uh, have a lot of doubts. They just had confidence in face of their doubts. I don't think Melisandre even started had doubts, yeah, you know, right, until yeah. until they were just so overwhelming. Like, yeah. the, the, the evidence just was too much. At some point, she's like, wow, I was yeah. wrong. She stayed strong throughout the face of it, even up to burning Shireen. Yeah. She still thought this was the right way. And it wasn't until... Just before Stannis was has lost everything, that she realized it or started to realize it. I think uh, another thought I had, you know, what's happening in a scene is she's kind of like bearing her soul, if you will, uh, and I, I, it's a 
an interesting parallel, I think, to uh, Cersei, when Cersei was kind of stripped nude and sent out to face her wrongs, you know. Um, see, yeah, to see what she really is beneath all yeah. the, beneath and the majesty, Cersei, this is what's there. Yeah, and Cersei would never choose to do that. She's, you know what yeah. I mean? But Melisandre's choosing. She's like She's sort of choosing, she's not showing anybody Choosing else, to like yeah, take yeah. this off and yeah, look yeah. at herself, you know what I mean? Maybe she does it every night and this is the first time we saw it. <laughs> but <laughs> no, part, it part of me, like sorry, this is like a moment for her, you know? Yeah. Part of me wanted it to just be the mirror image. You could see, like, oh my goodness, she's really old, yeah. and then not see the whole thing. And it was a little, but that's not really the way the show operates. They like to be kind of shocking, and they like to give you the whole view. It's not they don't that mystery is an important part of the show, but they also like to they don't like to dance around the mystery and when when they're presented when it's time. Yeah, uh, a, a couple other thoughts, by the way. I, <sighs> weird for me to say, but. I am kind of glad they did it that way, because uh, I really like to see naked old people. No. <laughs> uh, uh, because one, I remember thinking uh, in a lot of the imagery, the trailers and stuff building up to this, you see Melisandre like about to like take her top off, and I'm, I kind of like roll my eyes it's at like that. Again? Like, yeah, exactly. Like, what call at least they're kind of like recognizing. Maybe they know this appeal. Da, da, da. But now I feel like this. It's like a reveal. And another level. Yeah. And they kind of like this thing that maybe have been this, you know, uh, centralized thing is taking a very different direction. Um, and additionally, I think they uh, kind of took their time with the scene. It was like no dialogue, kind of stretched out the music. Yeah. And I, something I've learned that when films do this, uh, an effect it has, and usually an intention that the filmmakers have is to make you think you're sitting there in thought and your mind starts to spin on what does this mean what does she think why is she thinking this what, what do i think about that and it gives you time to reflect on what's happening it's interesting too that you made a pair you talked about how this paralleled cersei's walk of shame a little bit and this also parallels cersei what we're going to talk about in a minute when we get to king's landing talking about how she talked about what happens when you die and, and talking about the body getting older and getting yeah, more gruesome. Yeah. I thought that was a neat little parallel. I don't know if that was even intentional. It's Cersei but, uh, also losing, yeah, falling into despair. Like uh, even when losing it looks her, bright, no, it's still bad. Her, her mad confidence is totally shaken. Right. Yeah, you have these two really powerful female characters that have just lost all their like lost so much confidence. And also kind of connected to a prophecy, right? Melisandre, yes. all these visions and prophecies she's expecting not happening the way she thought. Whereas Cersei, the prophecy she was trying to to ignore is happening. Yeah, you know? she's like, no, it really is true. It really is true. Yeah, that's a really interesting dichotomy there. You have both people kind of at the same place, but for the opposite reason. One yeah. is like, oh my God, the prophecies are true. And one is, oh my God, the prophecies are not true. Yeah. <laughs> it's really, really neat. I think, and sometimes when we really focus on the details, we miss these thematic elements. And this is one of the fun things that I like to, to we go back. Personally, I've seen the episode three times now, and my own process is the first time I watch it as a fan, of course I'm going to pick up things here and there. The second time, I try to be more critical. The third time, I have a plan for what I'm going to try to... I need to look at that scene a little more carefully and maybe pause and that thing. So it's, it's like the genesis of each ver viewing. Mm. And before we do our Wednesday review, I'm going to have watched it at least one more time as well. That is a thing that, to me, is like a, a, at least a sign of a, a good show, work of literature or art or whatever, is that... Typically, on the surface, when you watch things, you just... The image, the character name, plot points, stuff happens. But there is so much more to it when you pay attention to the banner in the background, the facial expression of the... You know, there's... there's They didn't just, like, speak these lines and hit these plot points. There's a lot of depth. Every little moment and image and camera shot and lighting is all by design. It all has an intention. And once you see it a second, third time, 
you've got the superficial stuff is in your brain you start to pick up on the more nuanced stuff yeah and realize that it's there and it adds to it and yeah it really is and it shows you that's, that's the kind of thing that that the book readers and myself being one we really appreciate because george does that a lot but it's easier yeah, to see those readers. things <laughs> yeah i'm book snobbing <laughs> no no but it's it's important because a lot of times people i'm actually going to say something anti-book snobby here mm -hmm. which is that a lot of a lot of book readers because they have such expectations myself included sometimes we miss these these themes that that, that yeah. the show has created on their own these things are not present in the books like oh the show doesn't have these details like no it does it has different versions of them sometimes sure sometimes maybe they're not as clever but sometimes they're really cool and i and i really appreciate like this this melisandre cersei dichotomy i bet a lot of people didn't pick up on that i didn't pick up on it the first time i didn't pick it up on the second time either it was with my third watch there was like hey these are some neat little parallels there. And that's something I talked about at the beginning as we move on here is the way the scenes flowed together pretty well and the way they matched up with each other in really thematic ways. Moving on, staying in the north, to Winterfell. Let's go to Winterfell and the surrounding area. We'll talk about Brienne, Sansa, and the Boltons. And there's a couple of different sub-locations within here. The pattern of the first three scenes of the show was with John, then with Ramsey, and then eventually we move on to Cersei and Marcella. But dead bodies, mourning over dead bodies. A nice important theme there for the first three scenes. Let me interrupt real quick, because sure. something occurred to me. We didn't get a prologue. We did not get a prologue yeah. this time. They just went straight into it. You're right. Yeah. People were kind of expecting maybe there would be a flashback scene, because we know Bran is coming back this season. Maybe they would start with that. But I can see why they just went straight back to Jon. Um, I can too, and I do think, I didn't think to compare it, but I feel like it was a, an extended catch-up. You know the the previously on. Yes, there was it a was lot very to go long. through, and yeah. And uh, I, on one hand, I feel like it was a good uh, seven minutes of the episode. I think. <laughs> I think that they, again, I could probably like do some more research and be more definitive about this. But I feel like we hit on more different characters and plot lines than the normal, maybe than ever. Uh, I, I think that might be true, but I also think that as sprawling as the show is, things have a lot of the, some of those locations have condensed a bit. True, and, and that's another thing, right? off. For example, when, before when we were in Essos, we were just in Essos with Danny and Grey Worm and everyone, da da da. Yeah. But now we go to Essos and we have to go to different groups of people in different places. You yep. know? So, uh, Meanwhile, though, like in the North, there's fewer <coughs> things going on. Now, yeah, there's no more Bolton-Stannis conflict. There's still a Bolton-North conflict. There's still conflicts there, but Stannis is, kind of, is out of the picture. And we don't have... And now Brienne and Sansa are together now. And now, as well, Cersei and Jamie are back together for now. Maybe they'll split up again. But there's Jamie and Dorne, and Cersei and King's Landing, and now they're together again. So it's a lot of these things are coming together. And, and now Marjorie and Loras are both the prisoners of the Faith. And the Faith being a sub subplot of its own is now merged with these yeah. other plots. So I think that's part of it. And a lot of things have come together. And that's, that's nice. All right, so morning dead bodies. I yeah, morning dead that. bodies. Miranda, of course, it's kind of interesting to see <coughs> Ramsey showing some sympathy there, some some real genuine emotion, actually feeling sorrow and loss. And he explains why he liked her, which I thought was pretty cool. He says and she he was the showed, only one not afraid of me. Yeah, uh, I thought that was really neat. He also showed his utilitarianism. <laughs> Feed the dogs the meat. Yeah, it's thinking like a northerner. Don't I called waste, that. I don't, don't know waste good me. meat. I think you did, did call that. Yeah. When, I, when when he first started being kind of sentimental there. And I was like, yeah, just feed her to the dog. <laughs> and then like, the Meister asked, and I was like, no way. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty funny. So, and then, so he, he, 
you know, there's that. That's a pretty quick scene. We get the point of that, and it's nice to see Ramsey have a little emotion, even though he's such a horrible person. It shows. It's the kind of filling out of a character is something that we really like about Game of Thrones is showing people's dark sides and showing that they're even these most evil psychopathic characters are human. We never really saw a tender moment from Joffrey. And Ramsey was kind of the replacement for Joffrey in a way. And so seeing one from Ramsey is kind of interesting. I kind of like it. I don't suppose there's another person alive that would make list those feelings from him. I don't know if he has that kind of tenderness towards anyone left alive. And I wonder if this is going to make him perhaps even more savage, more dangerous, if that's even possible, more brutal, if that's yeah. even possible. Uh, I will say that we had, that was definitely in a different sort of emotion. Uh, but we do see him want to impress his father. Yes. We do see that side of him, if you will, that weakness that he has that he he probably doesn't mean to or admit to or would recognize that he shows I, it. It shows I agree that weakness. With you. I, you know. I would call it a different kind of tenderness or weakness, but it's you're right. It's a, yeah. it's a cousin. It's a, yeah. it's it's a, it's a it's something that isn't you know, aggressive. <laughs> Where we didn't even see that with Joffrey. We didn't see. Yeah, so she had no. He had no fear of his mother. He had no fear of of Robert. Or care really. or concern, yeah. or uh, not just fear, but like desire to be accepted by or whatever. You know? Yeah, and, and and that was perhaps partly because of his youth as well, but also because he he may have just been even worse than Ramsay. <laughs> he just didn't get to be an adult to see the full extent of his awfulness, and we get to see. Then we get to see the Boltons talking to each other, and Roos is sort of playing with Ramsay a little bit, saying, you did a good job leading the c c cavalry command, you know, you know, that was effective, you did a good job, do you feel like a victor? You know, like, <laughs> like damn. <laughs> like, like, it's like, no, I know I lost Sansa, yeah, that's really bad, yeah, th yeah. Thanks, Dad. I know. <laughs> but Thanks, he's like, Obama. But, but he really rubs it in, he's like, well, if you don't get her back... My wife might be having a son soon. It was that's just the the most the biggest needle he could stick in in Ramsey there to do yeah. that. He knows Ramsey is really really weak on that point. All right, I have a thought here. Ramsey seems to be somewhat promiscuous. Now he might have killed every woman he ever slept with, uh, but okay. Th this is part of my thought. I feel like Sansa should be pregnant. I feel like they were making a point of letting us know, like they show us this terrible rape scene. And then Sansa tells Theon, he visits me every night. And we know that was like an expectation to consummate the marriage. We've seen at weddings, it's like the whole uh, tradition of how they carry the bride off in the in the, in the the Seven Kingdoms. And, and Tyrion didn't consummate the marriage, but Ramsay did. And he visited her every night. Sansa should be pregnant. I don't know if she should be pregnant. I think the likelihood is high, but there there's no certainty there. I guess there's no certainty. I mean, think about how many children like Ned and Catelyn would have slept together constantly in yeah. in 20 years, and they had four kids. Like, like if, if, they're yeah. having, if, if you're having kids within a few months, then, then people like Ned and Catelyn would have had more kids. I suppose. Uh, I can imagine Ned and Catelyn not sleeping together very often. He was well, off to war a lot of times. No, so he wasn't. Remember, the there, was, are... there was peace for 15 years yeah. before the start of the yeah. show. There was like a 15-year interim. And there was uh, not much. And they also there. might have been making an effort to not have kids. You know, he, you know, they yeah. can. Uh, about Cersei and Jamie only having three kids. Right, but they, they also can make an effort to not have kids. But Theon, sorry, Ramsay's trying to have kids. He's trying to impregnate. Sure, but he doesn't yeah. have that long. All, yeah. the other, all these other examples are people that have been trying to have kids for years. True. This is months or month. Right, but yeah. I'm still wondering. Is that yeah? You know, 
that that means that it's not certain, but I feel like it's kind of like ninety percent or something. I don't you know think it I mean? even needs to be that uh, high. Like, and well, how will we even know what what number to put on that? Like, we're not doctors, you know what I mean? Like, right. It's a bit... I don't know, but, <laughs> but I do know sometimes people have sex one time and get pregnant. Sure, but that's sometimes still sex over that and over again and don't. And when that happens, it might sometimes they're infertile. Yeah. Does Ramsey have any other kids? Has he got any other women pregnant? He never got Miranda pregnant. Like, it's yeah. not necessarily a certainty, but I feel like it's a likelihood. And if it doesn't happen. Which I have also, we've talked about this before, for Sansa to be pregnant, that's an awkward thing for the show to handle. Because she has to go through a pregnancy. How long for the kids born? It would be an interesting dilemma for her to have this child as the, you know, the son of this man that she hates. Yeah, but do we have, like you're saying, do we have time for that? How long is this show, the story going to go? Maybe even a book stretch on. He writes a bunch of books. There's time skips. But the show can't go on for a baby, uh, the length of a pregnancy. and, And so I'm wondering if maybe the direction they're going is it. Rams is just not fertile in the first place. It's very possible, yeah. And what That'd does that mean if that's the case? You know, if he mm. can't be the heir. And <laughs> then it comes and he might come, come into conflict with his own father. Does he have the balls yes. to rebel against his own father? Certainly possible, yes. That could be a, a way things come or to a head. Or for his father to take him out, just to nip it in the bud. Or to tell him he's going to, and Ramsey then, you know... It backfires on Ramsey's like, okay, I'm going to get you first, Dad. <laughs> yeah. I, I was wondering if maybe he'll just put Ramsey in the, the vanguard. Go attack. Go attack the Wildlands. Go mm. attack the, the Lannisters. Leave from the front. <laughs> My boy, go ahead. Uh, I need okay. you. I need you. Know. that, then I'll find another way to kill him. <laughs> so he also mentions a little funny line there by Roos. Like, did you, do you know which who killed Stannis? You know, who which person yeah. killed him? He's like, yeah. nope, doesn't know. Which does imply that the body was found, by the way. Yeah, by the way, I will say a couple things. One, my, my note-taking process, I, I write out all the characters' names and I physically place them on a paper where they're located or approximately or where I think they are or where they last were or whatever. And through the show, I'll like draw lines, connections of you know characters' interaction, pull yeah. footnotes. and f- First of all, by the way, when I do that, it's 50 names. My piece of paper has 50 <laughs> names on this. And it's like some people, like I'm... Some I don't know. Sometimes I like I eventually they got it back to Balon. I'll write down Balon, but I didn't write down you know Theon's sister. Lots of names I don't bother to write down, but I, um, but I easily could write a hundred names on this paper. Like try to just write the names I think or expect or hope are going to be relevant. Um, and uh, at the end of last season, I was kind of supposing maybe Stannis isn't dead. They didn't show the death, and maybe she has mercy the last moment in some respect maybe they team up together maybe the Sanderson line is just done but I don't know I think there's a chance maybe Marcella's still alive maybe there's a chance that Tristane has an <laughs> antidote maybe that mm-hmm. you know the poison wasn't didn't have the full effect they save her someone and there's a adornant ship maybe someone there has maybe I'm glad they didn't do any of that by the yeah. way I hate the like the, the fake cliffhanger out. fake death they're not actually yeah. dead that's just cheap to which me. I that feel like cheap. is what they did do with Sansa and Theon I felt that was kind of cheap but I, well, that yeah. was, I don't know if that was cheap because I don't think you, I don't know if, I personally didn't think there was any way they were going to die. So, yeah. like, I didn't feel like there was real tension there. Like, maybe they get hurt. Right. I didn't. also didn't feel like there was any way they are going to die, yeah. which makes it hard for me to believe there are livings of this jump. But that's a whole <laughs> other thing. I could just, oh, whatever bad action, could have done it differently. They, the point has been made. Um, my, but what I'm trying to say is I had this thought or hope that maybe some of these characters, but so I wrote them down on my notes and I have a big X to myself. <laughs> Big extra no John, big extra Stannis. I made, I made it clear. <laughs> okay, so let's talk about the Sansa Theon Brienne aspects here. Now, small complaint for me here. I love the scenery of this show, so that's not the complaint, clearly. 
great. Like the Frozen River was awesome. I bet Sophie Turner didn't really have to act getting that frozen. It was like, oh, it's too cold. I'm like, that wasn't acting. That was really <laughs> like, no, I really didn't want to get in that water. <laughs> like, yeah, I just acted naturally there. And Alfie Allen probably as well probably had to resist being like, holy crap, this is freezing. Yeah, he, he, by the way, I thought he <laughs> might have done an even better job. I've been in freezing cold water like that. And one thing that happens is like, you're, you're like, your chest is almost paralyzed. It's hard to even breathe. Yeah, it's, it's like, yeah, it's like, like icicles cutting through. I yeah. mean, I haven't probably and been in then, water that cold, but I've swimming in Theon was definitely cold, like yeah. upright, stiff torso, stiff face as you move through it. Uh, and it's, I, I it's feel like bad. that was a pretty good representation of what it's like. Your, your body just kind of like stiffens up. Uh. But of course, the difference between our personal experiences with cold water and theirs is that they were running for their lives yeah. which and means already the adrenaline is, and yeah they're, it's and desperate and, yeah. and it's just like like Theon said she's like I can't do it I can't do it I'll die and Theon's like what Ramsay and those dogs will do to us is worse than this freezing cold river and she's like yep yeah. we might have right. died jumping off the wall but we'd rather die than face yeah and that would have been better <laughs> we might die going through this water but that's better than being eaten alive by dogs so. so the and here but here's my here's my minor complaint this is twice now that Brienne has just been in the right place at the right time. Just she found happened to be the one to find Stannis, and then she happens to find Brienne. Now there's dogs barking, so this there's a and there was yeah. a battle, so both times there's something to draw her to the general area. But still, it's a it's a bit of a stretch for me that she was just in the right place at the right time again. You know, I don't mind it. TV shows do this all the time. I'm not going to dwell on it, but yep, that's a little complaint yeah. I have. And the other complaint I have is the fight breaks out. What happened to the dogs? They just weren't part of it. The yeah. dogs were like trying to kill Sansa, and then as soon as the fight starts, it's like the dogs are gone. They don't care gone. about Sansa anymore. The dogs yeah. just vanished. I swear, they just weren't there at the end. They just were gone. Like they uh, ran off. Maybe one of the Boltons ran off and took the dogs. Took the dogs with, with them. Uh, but I don't think that happened. I, I also <laughs> I felt the like Bolt, that the scene, dogs were just like, where are the dogs? I also felt like that that scene, like many scenes, not just in Game of Thrones, but almost every show, it's just poorly done action, and I just. It happens so much now that I don't even fault shows for it. I just accept they need to have an action scene. Uh, it's, if you don't think about it too much, it's fine. Right. You know. uh, it, <laughs> at the end of the action scene, X needs to happen. This character needs to be dead. This character needs to be alive. This person needs to escape. This per you know. But uh, and, and the dogs are just like one more element of the action scene that was poor. And that I, I also sometimes try to put myself like a, in the shoes of the writers, just trying to imagine discussing it and someone point well like I, like I would have been in a writer's room like what about the dogs and so I'm like oh, I don't know maybe we have Bran kill a dog maybe they run off and we show that just don't worry about the dogs just don't worry about it just as long as at the end Bran gets on her knees and yeah and that was the a great my you know I thought the strongest yeah. part of the scene I thought that that was a very emotional powerful moment Brienne's facial acting was really good Sophie Turner, you could see how she was, at first she was a little confused, she was also freezing and scared, but she started to, and she, at first she's like looking to Theon for like, you know, confirmation, and then she forgets part of the line, but by the end of the Lord's acceptance speech, whatever you want to call it, the pledge, she's kind of standing a little straighter, she's speaking with more authority, she's arise, you know, she's starting to speak like a Lord, and like at the beginning she's real flustered and not sure what's going on, but she really starts to get stronger as the moment in, lingers. And she's looking Brienne right in the eyes, you know, and Brienne's looking back at her. And it's kind of cool f uh, as well as a, like a bit of a feminist statement because you have the two men or the ancillary characters and it's the two women that are in charge that are the ones who have agency here. And that's kind of cool. And I know the show tries to do that in some ways and they fail because maybe they just don't get it in some spots. Like we'll talk about Dorne and that's a, a place where they just 
Also don't because really get in this it. sort of society, women don't have much agency. It's true. So that gives it more power, and and but they do have it sometimes. And Brienne is, is, is has a, part of the reason Brienne has agency is because she's a better fighter than most men, if not you know nearly all men. And that in a, in a world where fighting is almost everything, you just can't deny that she's really good at that. And people continue to underestimate for her, like the first writer that faced her was like, oh, it's a woman. You know, yeah. I'm dead before I finish the <laughs> sentence because this is no ordinary woman. <laughs> And no ordinary anyone or no ordinary person. She's just a badass, period. And but so I really liked I liked the pledge part of that scene. That was my favorite yeah. part of it. I thought it was really strong. I also like the the moment when, when Pod kinda helped her, you know, yeah. give her the next line. Sansa's pulling herself together. It's I do I also thought it was good, like you point out, uh, good somewhere between acting and directing and writing, editing, that Sansa went like just from like She's almost just like an animal, you know what I mean? She'd almost given up on who she was. She, even going back to when when uh What's her name that they threw off the side? We just talked about her. Miranda. Miranda, yeah. You know, she's uh, she's almost like, just go ahead, shot. I'd rather you just shoot me dead than, like, pick me, chop my fingers off a bit at a time. It's kill me while, it's, while I'm still who I am, you know, while I'm still together. Uh, she's almost accepted death, you know. And Zanza's still very young, you know. We've got to keep that in perspective. She's... I guess but, she would be 14 or 15 now yeah. on the show. But I'm it's not, like I'm not clear Brand, on her show age. But I, I sort of assume she was closer to 16 or 17. I haven't thought about it too specifically, but uh, I believe but she anyway, was 13 in season one. For okay. Reference. Yeah, and I, 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 in my mind, I almost feel like a season of the show is a year of time. Yeah, you know? it, so, it's roughly close, but I think some of them were fat. like season one. I don't think was a full year, but some of yeah. the other seasons there were some time skips. But uh, but I feel like Brian gave her hope. I feel like uh, it might have just been like. Regaining some warmth after the cold water and regaining <laughs> some, you know, a, 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 some amount of fear being appeased as the, the dogs aren't right in her face anymore, magically. <laughs> but also, Brienne, like, look, I'm here to protect you. I, I tried before and you wouldn't let me. And I, I, I remember that scene feeling like Sansa was trying to protect Brienne at that moment, you know. But, but for her to come back, you know what I mean? Yeah. Sansa, a, a, a friendly face, um... And it just shows, like, it, Brienne's honor really shows through there. She's like, I'm pledging, I, mean, I offer you my service again, you know. Yeah, and even though you sent it. me away, I'm still back to, I'm gonna, yeah. you're going to get my service, whether you like it or not, you know, lady. <laughs> okay, so now here's a question about what's coming up now. Where where do they go now? I want to Do they continue to go north? Thing. Okay, go, what's, what's uh, first? The, uh, when Brienne and, uh, was trying to track an Arya, and she was traveling with the, yeah. the hound. And generally speaking through the show, we start off with characters who get scattered, and I at least am kind of hoping for them to come back together. So it seems like what the characters want, what the shows want, the viewers, what you're led to want is for people to be reunited after being scattered in different ways mm -hmm. under negative circumstances to come back together in positive circumstances. And I was so excited when Brienne <laughs> and Arya were going to link up. And I went so south, is so devastating for me the way that went. And I was so scared when Brienne finally finds Sansa that Theon and her are going to fight to the death. And she's <laughs> like, no, don't do that. Yeah. I didn't have, Theon didn't kill Brienne. I'm so worried about it. <laughs> do you think they go to the wall now? Do you think they follow through with that and, and, and go? They obviously, well, I don't know what happened with Jon. Yeah, I, I think no idea. so. I think it's the default plan. I uh, <clears throat> I'm not quite no sure idea what, what they're getting the into by they the time were, they get right. there. The wildlings they, may have already... You know, I can imagine bloody. before they get there, they'll get work. I can imagine on the way there, they're going to find out that John's dead, that Wildlands have come through. I can imagine their default plan is going to be go to the wall, but it probably isn't going to happen. Mm. I, I don't expect them to get to the wall. That's that's what I think. Okay. 
We'll have to see. That's a good guess. I'm I'm kind of, I don't know. I think they're going to head, the, I, I agree that they're going to head that direction, but I'm not sure what happens after that. I think you might be right that they don't go all the way there. But I could see that happening and then them having to decide that we need to get the hell out of there. Yeah. But maybe that's a, it's a way for them to maybe link up with someone like Davos or Melisandre or Rickon? something like that. Or Rickon, yes. Rickon is, is still out there somewhere. Like, in fact, you might know better than me what other houses, what other keeps will they pass on the way to them from, their, for like, Winterfell's relatively compared to the wall. There's like there's lots of other potential allies to yeah. to stop by on the way. Without right? being too spoilery, there are more Northern Lords cast a season. I won't be any more specific than that. So we will be seeing more Northern Lords. I don't know whether Sansa and Brienne will run into them on their way. That's really up to the show. The show, you know, likes to play with geography. They're not terribly consistent with geography. It's a minor criticism I have. We talked about Littlefinger teleporting around a lot last season, <laughs> and. Are we have other complaints along that line, but so that makes it difficult to, to predict where they'll where where they'll go. They're just going to head north. Winterfell. If they just head directly north from the general area of Winterfell, they'll get to the wall. I mean, anywhere yeah, generally north yeah. from the from the north, you'll get to the wall. You can't really miss it. Uh, all right. Um, let us talk about Cersei and Jaime. The third scene, which I thought was some of maybe the best acting in the episode. It's hard to say. That's such a subjective thing. I was particularly struck by Cersei. And this is one of the things that is done really well here. It's also done really well in the books, something I, that makes me want to recommend them. But this is if you like this aspect, if, you're, if you haven't read the books and you're, you like this aspect of the show, there's a lot of this sort of thing in the books, which is you feel bad for a character that you hate. You know, Cersei yeah. is a horrible person. You have so many reasons to hate her, but you still... You don't wish that kind of pain on anybody, the pain of losing their child. And she's, it's, it's the only, it's like the only moment of joy we see from her, the entire, like her <laughs> whole arc. She's like, Marcella. You know, she smiles. It's a genuine smile. It's, you could tell she's like happy, even though she's like deflated because she's ashamed of what happened with the walk of shame and her loss of power and everything. It still brings a smile to her eyes. And she actually runs. She actually yeah. runs like this. This is an undignified thing for a queen to do. You would never expect Cersei to run unless she's like afraid of what she's <laughs> running for her life. But she's so eager to see Marcella. She runs. And then the, the camera's on her face and she's smiling. And then it just, it's just such a gradual change of her real. It was really powerful. I was like, wow, that was good. And every time, and I re, like I said, watched it three times. Every time I was like, man, that just gets me. I also, when rewatching it, was trying to find the moment when she stopped smiling. Like, she's it's definitely so smiling gradual. at the beginning, and she's definitely not smiling at the end, and I can't find the moment when it stopped. I'm actively paying attention to this slow, gradual, definitive shift in facial expressions. Yeah. It was really good. You wonder if Lena Headey is like just that good, or if she's like tapping into some sort of pain she's felt in her life to trigger that, to make that, because it was just so good. And then she goes inside, and then they don't—they kind of skip over the landing, the actual, and they go back inside, and, and the, the bell's tolling, and mm -hmm. then Jamie and Cersei face each other. And Cersei's dialogue, I thought, was really good there. The whole, like, thinking about her mother's body and everything was, like, that was really powerful. Contrast a little bit, I wasn't so excited about Jamie's responses. I thought that dialogue wasn't great. Uh, his, his first few lines were good, the way he comforted her a little, but then the whole, like, we're going to take everything back, they took, like... What are you talking about? Yeah. You can't take back the fact that they killed your kids. You can't. Yeah. Cersei's probably too old to make new kids. You know, you can't take that back. Maybe he's just trying to make her feel better. Yeah, I took it as I, I thought he's his lines were kind of generic or cliche-ish, 
But a lot of times, and in someone's moment of pain, you just you just be supportive. Yeah, You're just being supportive. Yeah, it's okay. Yeah. What 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 can he say there? Yeah, right. Yeah. What can he say? Yeah. Well, you still got Tom, and you know, <laughs> we'll go. The White Walkers will animate her body, and we'll be. <laughs> she'll be back with us. I think I did say that's right. <laughs> Give her to Kyburn. <laughs> <laughs> you did during the episode. Sean's like, "Give her to Kyburn." Hmm. Yeah, that would be scary. So, really strong moment, and it's going to lead to. Of course, the the the, the um, fallout from this is going to be significant. We can we'll we'll use this as a segue to move from here to the the counterpoint to this, which is what's happening in Dorne, and that's where this this fallout is going to be. Of course, the relationship between the throne and Dorne is now just in tatters, and it's you know, and the one man in Dorne who was trying to keep who worked towards peace and worked towards avoiding this sort of conflict is well quite unambiguously dead but before we go there any more thoughts on jamie and cersei and maybe what's coming up do you you have any ideas for where this might lead in the short term or do you think that they still have to figure out their next move Uh, i don't know i mean i uh I've thought this many times. It's, it's. I feel like the question is almost even bigger than just Jamie or Cersei, mm. especially because Cersei is, you know, acting queen. Um, there's so much. There's, there's so many. Th- I don't even know where to start. They have so I, many I, problems I, just there, right there, right, right then at King's Landing. Like they can hardly Here's, think about exactly, Dorne right now. Who? Who? Excuse me. I guess Kevin is effectively running things right now. In a right? sense, yeah. He he uh, sort of is. Yeah. They haven't really shown it, but yeah, Kevin's around. But uh, and I. I suppose if he wasn't, it seems like it should fall to Cersei, although Marjorie's certainly trying to take charge. Tommen doesn't know what the heck's going on. Is ever much he want to be, uh, you know, even if he, like, I don't know, I don't want to be too negative, but if, if he was a little more assertive and was it, trying to educate himself and was became more savvy to the games that were going on, he still just doesn't have the slightest clue what to do about Dorne. You know what I mean? He just doesn't have the, the, the experience and the... I don't know what they're going to do, but even if like Cersei was just in charge, or Kevin, or someone who more appropriate, the council is working well together, what do they do about the fact that the North is broken off, Balon's broken off, the Riverlands aren't behind them, now Dorne is probably going to form an army and attack, like, and, and uh, just think yeah. about all this started to even leave me, I'm trying to answer the question about what are Cersei and Jamie going to do next, but I have no clue, I can't imagine, <laughs> they're just going to try to not get killed, I think, they they got to make it their trials, step A1. Cersei's got to go through a trial, you know. Um, and she's got to, they, they at least have to make it known what happened to make it known that they intend to get, like, if, if they don't make a statement, say we're, you know, these are our enemies now, it looks weak. They murdered a princess yeah. of the royal blood. They can't just do, they can't, they can, they can, the, they have to at least put a brave face on it and say, look, we're going to get them. But they may not be able to take action for a while, like you say. They have too many pressing things. The thing is, they might not need to. This literally just occurred to me. On some level, it seems like Ilyana, Ilaria, is like, it's a coup. She wants revenge. She wants to get back to the Lannisters. She doesn't care about the Seven Kingdoms. She wants to, she's, and she'll do anything to get there, right? Well, I feel like at the end of this, it's not like, there, revenge, done. You know what I mean? <laughs> On one hand, maybe it should be like, all the people that she would want to get revenge against are pretty much dead. So maybe she is just done. Um, 
But it seems like there's got to be more to Someone's got to lead Dorne now. Maybe they'll just squabble and figure that out. Is Dorne still going to be part of the Seven Kingdoms? Say they did want to. Who are they pledging fealty to at this moment? Say whatever the appropriate leader stepped up, whatever house took over for the Martells and Dorne and said and had to make this decision. Are we going to declare independence? Everyone else did. Or are we going to stick with the kingdom? Who would they be sticking with? Who do they? Who is the person that they Tommen? Like, yeah, you're like, right. It might be a play for independence. So, that might be what they're after. And it's a good time to try with, like you said, there's so many other kingdoms have broken free. Like this is the time to do and it. And you know what would really seal on. the deal is what might have been part of the thing that occurred to me just now is that Killing Tristane could be framing them. Could be hmm. framing them if those girls could just kill him and escape. And go back, and and now Tristane's dead. What do you mean Tristane's dead? That's it. War. Dorne's going to war. You know. Hmm. Interesting. I hadn't thought of that either. The, yeah. Who is going to be blamed for Tristane's death? Okay. Well, let's let's go ahead and take kind of a jump ahead short of the break. Bunch of different well, stuff there. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's a good segue, and we need to move on to that spot anyway. We've covered the three dead body scenes that, that are kind hmm. of that's the the overlay for those scenes, and of course. I guess what we'll do is we'll yeah we'll we'll go ahead and come back to the the High Sparrow stuff and we'll go into Dorne because it's so related to this King's Landing stuff. So back after this, Dorne was probably the least popular aspect of last season. It was, to be honest, a lot of aspects of it were not well done. Some people would would be a lot more critical than that. They would <laughs> they wouldn't put it as mildly as I did, and frankly, it's kind of I wouldn't say it's well. I would say it's kind of bad, but a lot more so than bad. It's confusing. I don't understand what's happening with this plot line. I don't understand, like you say, what is their end game? What is Alaria doing? Are they? Is someone else? Is Alaria now in charge of Dorne? I don't think so. I think somebody else. They have maybe some other claimant, but who? Uh, it's confusing to me. I don't know what their end game is. Yet the palace guard were all just with them. They were all in on it, you know. They were like they well, not in on it. They didn't help kill him, but they just certainly didn't lift a yeah, finger. Stop. So that was. Well, I don't know what they were guarding. <laughs> it was clearly prearranged. They either through a combination of bribery or genuine disloyalty that was. They were just waiting for someone to do this sort of thing. I don't know. I will say one thing. I will say uh, that once again didn't quite occur to me just now. But uh, Shay and you both, where your mind went with that scene is like, who's in charge of Dorne now? I didn't really crossed my mind i didn't think about that i wasn't like concerned about that maybe i should have been once you guys brought it up i started thinking about it but it wasn't really where my mind went because now they're in conflict with the iron throne now there's like a reason for the iron throne to go instead of instead of them being attached to the iron throne with a line with an alliance through the marriage now they're an enemy and so now which is what they wanted they wanted they didn't want peace with the people that murdered their family so so many years ago and, and recently with with oberon Although he, as we know, he wasn't actually murdered. <laughs> yeah. But still, they wanted revenge for that. They wanted revenge for Elia so many years ago, and you know, Doran wasn't going to give them revenge the way the way they saw it. And so they, this is the only way to make it happen was for them to kill the princess and make it make it a reality. Now there's war, whether anyone wants it or not, because you just can't forgive something like that. Yeah. But yeah, who? But who's going to lead this war effort? Is Ilaria in charge? I don't know. I don't think she is. She's re- literally. I mean, she does have a noble father, but she's a bastard, and ba- like a bastard just becoming the the ruling lord of a province of a, of a region like that just seems a little far fetched. A few thoughts, in a, in a, uh, especially under those circumstances. Yeah. 
One one thought is, is to that end is I feel like she, maybe she has something set up and we're just not showing us. You know yeah, I mean? uh, yeah. But she we may have be, already coordinated with some other house. There could be a reveal. It might be Lord, those yeah. the guards that were there not doing anything. It might be from that house. They know they're going to be guards under some new regime, and that's why they didn't do anything about it. Um, it's uh, <clears throat> you know, may, I, I'm not sure. I, I but one one of the thoughts I also had is that I, I'm sort of supposing that you and Shay and other people who read the books have seen more unfold in Dorne and have more vested in these characters and wondering what's going to happen with them. But my take, it, well, I've hardly seen, I've seen Doran speak like seven total lines. I yeah, know, it's... it's, it's uh, what, Arya Hotep, or whatever, barely know his name. He's had, I don't even know if he's had seven total lines. I don't think I'm exaggerating. <laughs> like, they don't mean anything to me. Those characters weren't developed very well. It was well. just too fast. Yeah, it was all right. just done really quickly. And, and so and... I, I wasn't, I didn't have this anticipation or expectation of what's going to happen with them. Other than like something's going to new characters, wonder where this is going, and when this at the moment of this episode, in my mind, I was like, all right, they're just like chopping that arm off, moving on with other storylines. As I thought about it more after the fact, and as you guys started pointing out, well, who's going to be in charge of door now? I started to think, well, it doesn't mean they just go away. It seems like more than ever they're going to affect things. There's going to be war between Dorn. It might be something we hear about off screen, like, ah, oh, Dorne is still, you know, tearing itself apart, blah, blah, blah. You know, yeah, maybe sure. they've fallen to civil war, you it, know. It, I, I, without being, this isn't, uh, you know, I, I know we said we wouldn't talk about so much about what happens in the trailers and all, but I will say that there's, in the preseason trailers, not a single scene from Dorne. We didn't see the yeah. Sand Snakes at all. Yeah. Not a speck. So I, it kind of tells me they're not going to be a big part of it. Yeah, they're just moving on to focus on other things. So, Greyjoys, maybe. But. Right, and it could be that they realized they screwed up this plot line, that they kind of goofed it by by going, doing it too quickly, and so they just want to, like you say, they want to cut the arm off. It's like, yeah. okay, well, you screwed this. It's like Jorah with the grayscale yeah. on his arm. Like, well, you need your arm, but the arm is killing you, so you got to cut it off. So they're just like, well, we're going to cut this Dorn thing off because we screwed it up, and we just want to cut our it. losses. Yeah. yeah, That's an entirely feasible, I think, possibility. And it, but it's funny how they just kept doing the same, made made the same kind of mistakes they made with yeah. the earlier plot lines. There's so many things that just, just I don't understand. Okay, and some of them I, I can make some sense of after thinking about it. Okay, for example, a big question on people's minds is where did those two come from? How did they get on the ship with Tristane? They were on the dock. They watched the ship leave. Okay, this actually doesn't bother me too much because, let's be honest, everybody knew where that ship was going. They knew where to find it. They knew it was just going to King's Landing. And they knew that they had no reason to rush. <laughs> they knew yeah. that Tristane, they knew that Marcella was going to be dead. They probably suspected that Tristane would not go into the city because, well, Cersei's uh, revenge is there. Maybe, like, he could be blamed for it. You know, there's a Dorn, here's a Martell to blame for this. So it makes sense that he would kind of stay out of it for a little while. And so then they sail up on their small ship, get on and get on board and say, hey, you know, it's us. And, you know, they know who, the guards are going to know who they are. They're like, oh, you're yeah. part of the family. Let him, let him in. But when they show the beginning of that scene, you see the ship, to, to, so we know that it's Tristane we're about to see. You don't see some other ship near them pulling up. Yeah. They should have showed that, and, you know, them like getting on board or something. Like, oh, here they come. So it's just confusing. It's like, where the hell did they come from? Yeah. Unpacking it, it doesn't, it doesn't seem so bad. I, but, I thought about it also, like, did they follow them? They would know they're being, but then I'm like, well, they're just ships on a sea. You should yeah. probably go back to Dorne and... Uh, not, if they're on some tiny little ship, they're not going to seem threatening, yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, it, but I definitely did have to go. I, my mind constantly had to like check. Why do like? Uh, I guess there's this reason. What about 
well, I guess there's this reason. Well, that isn't, well, I guess there's this reason. <laughs> but I don't want to have to go through justifying every little thing that's happening, it, it, which I yeah, felt like I do. Uh, do and Tristane, like, his reaction, it's like, he was just so muted. He's yeah, like, very contrived. oh, you guys are here to kill me. Okay, I don't want to hurt you. You know, uh, we're family. He no questions. No, why are you why are you doing this? Like no what? Confusion, I'm your, no desperation. I'm your cousin. No frustration. You know? Just okay. I choose you. Ugh. Yeah. <laughs> I, well, it's funny the <laughs> the stabbing through the head was like reminded. It was the exact same spear through the face, like over like silly kind of spear through the face thing. Just like in in uh, when Tyrion was almost killed by the Kingsguard knight Mandalore, yeah. and Podrick yeah. did the spear through the, his face. Except that was through a helmet, so it was even sillier. But. <laughs> It's kind of funny how they overdo the like the blade coming through the back of someone's face. Like we've seen that a bunch of times. Like it comes through from the behind. Moment. Yeah, yeah, it's like all right. Yeah, we get it. But it's also you could see that coming. Like don't turn your back to her. <laughs> like don't. Uh, all right, we knew that was gonna happen. I, I feel like we could easily just sit here for the rest of the podcast and nitpick. How but yeah, it's, went down and but that's not fun. It's no fun to yeah. be. We all. I don't think, and I don't think anyone is sitting here going, "Really, they didn't like that scene? I can't believe <laughs> it." I mean, it's just widely panned. I mean, there's a, there are some. There it wasn't. You can find some silver linings in there, but really, whatever. It is what it is. It's that that plot line wasn't good last year. It's still not good now. But hey, there's a ton of plot lines, ton of good things to talk about, mm-hmm. and it's almost like I want to judge the show plot line to plot line and not as a whole anymore. Yeah, because they're the so different. Is, like yeah. the Dorn plot line has nothing whatsoever to do with what's happening in the North at all. There's no even rem- indirect connection between those two plot yeah. lines, like, at all, you know? The, you can't the even closest you imagine. can get is how attention's diverted to the wrong thing. You should be worried about the zombie army. Instead, you're worried about revenge the for your daughter. squabbling you know? between, the, yeah. Yeah, between different claimants for the throne and, and all that, yeah. I did want to point out one thing that I, I went back, uh, again, tr- kind of trying to make sense of what I feel like is a kind of a confusing presentation of the happenings in Dorne. It reminded me a little bit of the scene with Mance being burned. Because mm. I remember I wanted specifically to go back and pay attention to the facial expressions of the other wildlings as he's being burned. It's mostly just like... Think about what they were thinking. <laughs> and yeah, and pretty much... They were horrified. They're, <laughs> they're trying to hide it, but they were like... they. Some of them potentially were horrified, but generally speaking, I feel like they were stone-faced. Mm. I feel like the direction that they were okay. given was to be as serious and solemn and unrevealing as possible, which could come across as horrifying when you know they're witnessing a body being burned, but someone might have been like holding back anger or confused. Just or being it was stoic. Like, yeah, stoic, you know, like tough, strong, I'm not going to break down, I'm not going to, you know. And I feel like it's very similar for the guards in Dorne. They, like, even when like the dagger was thrown at the 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 maester, no one even flinched. Yeah. No, no one, like, adjusted even. They did look down. The guards were like, their eyes were looking down at Doran's body on the ground. Yeah. But that was the most reaction any of those guards Yeah, gave. they were like, they were kind of so, like, it was almost like they were, um, as, as, I almost saw contempt in there in, in one or two of the faces. Right, yeah. And it did start to lead me to believe on some level they had to be... Uh, that Alari was right. And she was saying was like, you, you know, you, like, your people hate you. Yeah, because she, she did say, right. when's the last time you left this palace? You're out of touch. You don't understand. And maybe all these guards were like, yeah, screw that guy. He didn't mm-hmm. do anything. It's about time someone took care of him, you know. It seems odd that every guard felt that way, though. Out of a dozen, it is a no odd. one was like, hey, wait a minute. like, Or someone flinched like, whoa, what the heck just happened to everyone? Just like, not I've, just stood by, but stood by stone-faced, non-reactive they had to have been either planted there or paid or something. And there's another thing. How that much difference that makes in a plot, I don't know. Yeah, we'll see. It's, but it's, at least we're to believe Arya 
uh, Ilaria, <laughs> Ilaria set this up, <laughs> and she might even have someone in place to take over from this point. It's possible. But it also makes me think that it was just bad writing and are just not going to do anything else with it. <laughs> I do have, by the way, I do have a theory on who might take over. It's a bit of a long shot, but I can't. I won't talk about it because it's too much, too related to the books. But I have reason to think that maybe it will be because of some other things that we introduced this season. So check out our Wednesday review for book readers if you are interested in that. One more thing on this scene before we move on. Uh, another thing that didn't make sense to me was why did they wait for Doran to get the letter to kill him? Yeah, that's not important. They just moment. kill him. Like, like let's wait till he gets the letter so we really rub it in. Like, what? Why, yeah. What's the point? Like, maybe he won't be there when he gets the letter. And why is the maester even running away? He's not a threat. The maesters just serve the ruler, whoever they are. They're not loyal to, to the particular, yeah. you know, they, that maester, as far as we know, shouldn't have any particular loyalty to Prince Doran. He should just be the maester. It's like, why is he running away? He's like, oh my god, you killed him. All right, well, I guess who's in charge now? Like, that's how a maester, what we would expect a maester to do, not just run away in fear. Like, he shouldn't yeah. be afraid. And why would they kill him? Where's where he yeah. going to run off to? Where are they going right. to... What's the point of to me killing him? It's even worse if Valaria <laughs> do? does have this all kind of plotted out. It's all the less threat that he is. You know what I mean? If she, yeah. Uh, it's just not well done. Yeah. Okay, so let's move on. We've, we've, we've nitpicked that enough. I think that hopefully that oh, no. exercises those demons. I want to nitpick it one more time. All right. One Although more this, is, this is a sort of a positive thing. Okay, good. Other Meisters I've deeply cared about. I was devastated when uh, Lewin. Lewin was killed. Yeah, he was when awesome. Amon dies. But this guy Amon, was like, yeah, wait, was I had to like rewind know who he was. it. Yeah. Was he a Meister? Did he have a chain? I guess he's a yeah. Meister. Yeah, uh, Meister, Meister Calliot. Don't know his name. Don't know his personality. Don't know anything about him. Like, I, I feel like it... It's a. Uh, I don't know if I'm, I'm partly upset with this scene for not getting me to care about this character at all. Mm -hmm. It could have just been some random dude. It didn't have to be the the maester. Yeah, I guess it's brand new um, message, just a messenger. But yeah. it also <laughs> what makes me want to give credit to making me care for Amon and, and yeah. Lewin, and maybe we'll come to maybe we'll get some personality out, out of the Bolton maester. Yeah, the Dreadfort too. Maester, like, yeah, I'm, that's I'm interesting. Curious. I'm super curious about right. the maesters. Are all intriguing characters to me, mm -hmm. and uh, they're kind you know, of in the there. With Sam that. going to. The Citadel is something that I'm kind of excited about. Yeah, that, yeah. Know? Speaking of Sam, yeah, one of the things at the end I was going to mention the things that weren't in this episode, and of course, yeah. Sam, that's one of them. One of the few plot lines that wasn't touched on. Okay, so let's move on. Let's go to. Let's see. Let's go to Arya. Or no, let's go to King's Landing. We skipped over parts of King's Landing that we talked about Cersei and Jamie. We didn't talk about the High Sparrow. What's happening there? We didn't get a lot yeah. there, but yeah. we got a little. You know, we, we circled back there so we could be refreshed on that whole plot line. I, I saw that scene as a bit of good septa and bad septa. You yeah, know, septa yeah. Unel is really rough and just unyielding and just really strict and and not very fair, <laughs> to be honest. And then, and then the high spirit comes in and says, "Yeah, septa Unella, she can be overzealous." You know, yeah. but I'm the nice guy. I'm here to help you. If you just confess. Everything's gonna be all right, and he's he is kind of gently. He he can kind of see. I, I can you can see this guy. He's really clever. He's not just trying to. He's he is a zealot to be sure, but he's got smarts. He's he's, he's patient. He's very you're right. He's patient, and I think he's trying to win her over. I think he's trying to make her an ally, not just to just not just to beat her down, not just to get power, but to make her a convert so that he has power over her after she's let free. He doesn't want to just kill her. 
I mean, he he's I, willing uh, to, but I think he wants her. I think he wants to have influence over her. I appreciate everything you're saying, and I usually am a suspicious person, but I can't help but want to believe that he's more genuine than that. Oh, that he. I think really, it's a combination of the two. Yeah, yeah. right. And and I right. I think it, he can be more genuine and also be trying to get more power or trying. But I think on some level he does want her to be a good person and maybe even sees that she is and these other people are terrible and they, you know, I can change you. And also, I, I didn't know this the first time, but uh, when the Sept kind of stepped toward her, she's like, confess. By the way, you said that she's kind of like uh, mean or unfair or she's also like ineffective. That's never going to get a confession. <laughs> confess. Yeah, like, oh, this time I'll confess. Uh, sinners don't make demands. They make confessions. It's like, oh, okay. Well, I'll do they? Well, then like, why are you confessing? Because we're all sinners, yeah. apparently. <laughs> yeah, uh, but uh, when she kind of moved forward, you saw Marjorie kind of like cowered back, mm-hmm. and I didn't catch it the first time. Not just intimidated, you, she had a bruise on her face. Mm-hmm. When when the when the mm-hmm. sparrow went in, he moved her hair, saw the bruise, and he kind of apologized for the set. And it made more sense why she cowered back. She's legit afraid of being hit. Yeah, uh, and and I was... think he legit is going to have a word with her. Like we're not trying to punish and torture her. We're trying to. Teach her, we're trying to make her a better person, not trying to be mean. Your position here is not to be mean. It's tr- you know what I mean? Because that's because, yeah, because he, he wants her, like you said, he, he wants her to convert, but he also wants control over her and influence over her. Because if she's a fa- she, she's of the faithful, then she will have to look up to him. Then she will yeah. have to take his advice on everything because he's the head of the church. And that's just how, you know, that's, you, you, don't, you don't say he, no to him. She might, even if she... T- even if she doesn't have to, even if he dies, she'll still be there as a good person to lead the cause. You know, he might still have a g- genuine, beyond like, his powering positioning, which might also be there, but he might generally want a good, honest, uh, forgiven, whatever person to be in control. Agree, you know? yeah. It makes them more predictable. Uh, a, a, yeah, a devout ruler is more yeah. predictable and more uh, bound to certain codes of conduct. And yeah, I mean, that's kind of the whole point of organized religion is to kind of give people a rule. It's to kind of have a standard of behavior and rules of yeah. order. It makes yeah. power easier to implement in, in a large scale. If they only were a little more fair about what they chose to be the values, you know what I mean? <laughs> yes, like, exactly. Don't lie, don't cheat, don't steal, and don't be gay. Like, You're what? Like, what? What? <laughs> what is that last one for? Everything's <laughs> good except for that. Yeah, it's like, yeah, I don't lie, don't you? Okay, I'm behind that, sure. Yeah, but don't be gay. What? Don't be gay. <laughs> like, what? Come on. That's, <laughs> well, it's stupid medieval. Medieval sensibilities... Yeah, they are. They're so backwards. <laughs> All right. So, do we have anything more on that aspect? I think that's for now uh, pretty good. Although it's interesting to see that Marjorie really wants to see Loras, and they, they're not telling him. Not even a little bit. Not even even if she's like, I just want to. How is my brother? It's like they just kept changing the subject. They they they're yeah. holding that over her. They're, they they yeah. know that that's how she they can use leverage. And it's like if we don't tell her about Loras, we can get concessions from her. It's like okay, well we'll tell you about what's happening with Loras, but first. Maybe you have to we, do this. Maybe we even let you see him. Yeah, you know, only uh, only the conf- yeah. only someone who has confessed can be given, you know, these yeah. kind of things. Like, you know, if you're not walking on the straight and narrow, we, you know, we can't trust you with this kind of thing. Yeah. So I think I think that's how they're going to play it. I'm interested to see if Olena's going to get back involved somehow and try to. F- she's not just going to sit there and do nothing. But we didn't see her yet, and wonder, you know, when she's going to pop up, and maybe Mace Tyrell comes back from Bravos and he gets involved. That seems very likely. Littlefinger's got to have some play in here, too. Littlefinger, who knows what Littlefinger wants, whether he wants to make it things worse, which I think is very likely, whether he wants to stir things up, make things more, create more chaos. That's, that is, mm-hmm. you know, he's talked multiple times about how he thrives on that, and that's one of those times, one of those few times where he's being honest. <laughs> he's like, no, I think he really believes that one. Now, a lot of times you're like, is he really, is he telling us the truth? But no, he, he does thrive on chaos. That is not, that is true from his perspective and from ours. Okay, so speaking of Bravos and Mace Tyrell, let's talk about Arya. Arya's out yeah. there 
Um, we do get a little bit about that. When she's, it's, it's, it's easy to miss. And frankly, one of the only reasons I caught it is because we watched, at least part of the time when we watch, we have the subtitles on. And one of the things she overhears as people are walking by her is they're like, oh, blah, blah, after what that king, after what happened to that king's guard, blah blah blah. Oh yeah, he deserved it. But still, you know, I'm not taking any chances. So it's like chatter in the background so, revealed us a little bit of. So know. news has gotten around. So that yeah. the murder of a of a Westerosi king's guard knight in a brothel is street gossip. It's all over the streets, and that's that's cool. I like that detail. The rest of the scene is is fine. Nothing wrong with it. But I I don't know. Um, like you, are you a little kind of ready for Arya to do something besides being trained? Is it, it, I don't know. I'm not sure what I want for what I'm ready for. Like, I, I don't necessarily... My hope isn't necessarily for Arya to become a ninja. You know what I mean? I don't, <laughs> I don't care if she goes off and fights with swords or not. Uh, although, I'm not sure what I do care about. And it does seem like that's what's happening. Even if she's not fighting with swords, she might have been behind the scenes, poisoning someone's drink or whatever, like she's exacting revenge. But part of me kind of feels like... I that this revenge mission she's on is dark and negative and that she shouldn't be doing it. They're like, we, we, we kind of want these people to get their comeuppance and it makes sense for Ari to want this revenge, but it also is like corrupting her as a person. And it seems like the faceless man is trying to like remove this desire for revenge. Now, there are, the faceless men are also trying to remove everything about her. Yeah. And I don't know if I want that. I don't know if it's worth not being who you are anymore for the sake of not wanting revenge anymore and i don't see her learning the skills to get revenge without losing who she is and so i don't know where they're going or where i want this to come go to head, like, yeah i yeah. think I, i've been thinking a, a good bit about it mm-hmm. one thought i did have in this scene seemed like the wave just came out there to beat up on her <laughs> i think she actually came out there to be nice to her she has a walking stick now in a way you know, yeah she's true <laughs> it was, uh, and, they, and they let her know. I think. I think the impression that we get there at the beginning of that scene is Arya thinks she's been completely abandoned. Yeah. When the wave shows up, she's like, "Okay," and she says, "See you tomorrow." After beating her up a lot, yeah. you know, but not any kind of permanent damage. I, I imagine she was hitting her. She was hitting her, but she probably wasn't trying to hurt her. She was probably just trying to, I mean, hurt her, but not like do serious damage, yeah. like bruises. She's definitely like these bruises will teach you a lesson. You know, these bruises will be a, a memory. These these will spur you to do better and to learn to use your other senses. So it is kind of it is more or less still more training for her. And, yeah, I'm not saying I'm tired of it, but I'm hoping it's it's a little weird to me that they've rushed through so many other things, and this one is just really lingering. Yeah. It's cool. The, uh, the House of Black and White is awesome. It's creepy. It's really compelling, but it's a little, it's, it's kind of interesting to me how it doesn't, this plot line is a lot slower than some of the others in, in a way. Well, I, I, to me, it kind of makes sense because I feel like they've got to get everything to come to a head. And some plot lines need to be staved off. Like, I feel like, on a certain level, almost nothing's happened with Danny. Yeah. You know what I mean? She's just an Essos biding time. Till, <laughs> like, whether or not she... I, I feel like with a line of dialogue, she'll have an army and a navy. You know what I mean? They, they, they don't... They're not at the point yet for her to come over, so she doesn't have the army and navy yet. Does that make sense? Yeah. But when the point comes, when all the other pieces fall into place, it'll be like, oh, and this... The, the the horde's gonna you know commit to her and they're gonna travel in the navy but we don't have any whoa this other city who their slaves revolted and they're gonna build a navy for you all right so she'll be there first episode next season you know what i mean like when the time comes it'll come and until then they're just putting her through holdups and i feel like Arya might be going through the same thing the thing was danny showing up at least i can conceive of what she's gonna do fly with dragons and conquer the throne or kill roose bolton or whatever she's gonna do I have some sort of vision or expectation for it, but Arya, I don't know 
what she's gonna do other than get revenge on uh, the Cersei, names on her list, Mellon, I think. Da da da, you know. Yeah. And how is that gonna tie in to the overarching coming of Danny and the zombies? I'm not sure how it's gonna play. I agree. Out. That is, she is one of the hardest to figure because she's the most outside of the main storyline. Yeah. I think her our, her plot line is the least attached to other stories. Talk about how Dorne isn't connected to the wall at all. Arya's <laughs> not connected to the wall. She's Arya's not connected to really King's Landing at all. She's, she's hardly, exactly. She has a little bit of a connection to Mace Tyrell since he was there. And then yeah. maybe that's how she goes back to Westeros, like sneaks on his boat yeah. or something. I don't know. That's, that's, and I that's guess she does theory. have a connection to, she's like, once she, Arya, wants to get to King's Landing and kill Cersei, but I don't, but she's not supposed to be Arya anymore. So. <laughs> she's been no one. Yeah. Like you said, it's it's dangerous what she's doing in a sense, and it's against their goals. And they reminded us of that when you said, like, that beginning, that long intro where they did the, the previously on Game of Thrones and they went through seven minutes or so of that. One of the scenes was they were showing. Like, you are not no one. And the, this, the power, our powers, I'm paraphrasing, obviously, our powers in the hands of someone who is not no one may as well be poison. It's like if we're equipping someone to just become an indiscriminate killer, if they don't believe in our values, if they don't share our values, we're basically training you to be just a murdering fiend. You know, if you, if you share our values and worship the God properly, then you are an instrument of deliverance, an instrument of good, potentially, even. Justice. But if you're just some assassin... Out on your own, we're unleashing a bad thing on the world. That's their viewpoint. That's their attitude. And I, I'll, I kind of respect that, you know, in a, in a way that they throw that in there. That they show that, like, they don't want to just make indiscriminate killers. They realize how dangerous their own training is yeah. if given to the wrong hands. You know, I had a thought. Uh, the House of Black and White is in Bravos. Yeah. And the Iron Bank is in Bravos. Yeah. Maybe at some point the Iron Bank's like, what the heck? Didn't we lend a bunch of money? They owe. Listen, so, hey, faceless men, help us out. Well, here's here's something that's important. Now, there, to, the the idea that there's a connection between the two is not remotely far fetched because they're both ancient institutions in Bravos, and they're surely they're aware of each other and have maybe had dealings in the past. However, what we're told about the faceless men is that their their fee is relative. It's not set to a price. It's relative. You have to give up like two-thirds of your wealth. So their their fee to the Iron Bank would be astronomical. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know that it's an option. Unless they have some sort of special arrangement, their standard operating procedures would not work because the Iron Bank, would they'd be charged an exorbitant fee. Like, you can be a beggar and come in and give up if you only have three pieces of copper to your name. They might ask you to give up your own life to, to do have this killing. And some people, that's yeah. worth it. Like, well, this person killed my daughter. I have nothing to live for. I give my life. You kill them. So that's sometimes what they do. But if it's a matter of money, yeah, they charge based on how wealthy the, the, the person yeah. doing the contract is. So I don't know if that would work, although they, they're not necessarily bound to that. Like I said, there could be some sort of secret ancient arrangement between the two. We're kind of in crackpot territory here because we don't know we don't really know. But it's very fun to consider. Also, you know what makes me consider when, all this stuff you did? It's kind of new for you. You're getting new thoughts in my brain. What would, what would the faceless men do with all that money? <laughs> say the Iron Bank. Say the Iron Bank was owed so much, it's worth paying two thirds to get what we're owed, mm. and they do it. And now all of a sudden, the faceless men have more money than anyone on the planet. And like, what do they it's do? Very good question. Do they just stay they in the shadows? Do they have some bigger goal? What do they? Yeah. Do they really care about the money, or are they trying to make sure you really care to have this done? You, that we don't even care. We'll fuck throw it in the water. Uh, but you have to really be committed to this mission. That's more it's of a, a test of your commitment than the money they want. Big open question. What do they do with all that money? It's totally yeah. right. That's a that's a good question. Is it a lot of people? 
A lot of book readers have been debating that for a long time. Of course, nobody knows. We just we don't know what the Faceless Men's ultimate, what their inner workings are. And we may never find out because that's the kind of mystery that's maybe it's more fun not knowing. They but, need to hire someone to sweep their... <laughs> <laughs> they got to hire somebody to light all those candles. Yeah. <laughs> that is a serious job just by itself. Or, or, or like, you got you got to have hazard pay to clean up on the top of those long <laughs> pillars, tall pillars. Like, you can just Do you think like there. The, the faces on the top rows have dust on them? Yeah, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> Dusty old faces <laughs> with, with dust in the wrinkles of the crevices of their wrinkles there. Okay, so... Let's um, let's see. Is there anything more? Do you have anything more to say about Bravos? Or what do you? We talked about like you said. We don't know what to expect here. We don't know. Yeah. Some, we expect yeah. her to get back to Westeros. The means maybe through Mace Tyrell somehow indirectly. But I almost I, I, feel like Mace Tyrell is going to be back in Westeros yeah, before this gets resolved. Exactly. I feel like she has to be there for weeks or months. Where Mace should be back already. He doesn't need to be there. Any, I guess maybe he's. They're kind of as a prisoner, and they're just going to hold it. But it seemed more like Merritt Trent was holding him there. He's yeah. gone. Would the Iron Bank hold him as a prisoner? How much does it change when they find out that the queen's in prison and the... Like, <laughs> yeah. Who's the hand now? You wonder what their information is like. Who, what do they know about what's happening in King's Landing? I'm sure they're fairly well informed. It would be to their best interest to have you know, people giving them information whenever they can. I just thought of that... Who's the hand? She doesn't have a hand, remember? She was like, I don't want to name a hand. I'm not going to name one. So there's no hand of the king right now. Is it up to her to name one? Yeah, she's the regent. Like, if Tommen decides to name a hand, they'll, it'll be hard for Cersei to stop that. But she, he's not technically... Doesn't have, doesn't have full authority because he's not old enough yet. He is not, so I guess if he doesn't have full authority, he's not old enough. Yeah. Say this didn't, with a high spare and everything didn't happen. What if Marjorie was more definitively the queen? She couldn't name a hand, could she? No, not by herself. I mean, what? she could try. You never know. Like, what, 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 things like this, it's what people can get away with. Like, yeah. she doesn't have necessarily have the authority to do it, but she might be able to get away with she it. She might because... be able to manipulate things to get the person she wants named. That right, such. right. It's hard to, yeah. Like, laws don't necessarily bound. Ro if... Royalty tends to be above the laws. <laughs> you know, like, and kind yeah. of, they, you know, there's, there's what can they do and what can this they do. This is a weird sort of what if, but I wonder, what if Cersei was dead, Tommen was younger, and Marjorie was older? Yeah. At what point would she more legally have the authority, or more not have to connive as much to to take charge? Well, it's really complicated. It it's still really... might depend on the interaction of the council. Yeah, there's no set of rules here because, yeah. like, if you look at Westerosi history, not every young king had to wait to come into his own because there was, for example, Daron the first, who was the one who conquered Dorne without dragons. You know, after the previous people tried to conquer with dragons and failed, he. He had none of that. He became, he was crowned when he was 14 and immediately had full authority because he was just such a head, he was so ahead of the game, he was such on top of things, he was really smart, he was, you know, mature for his age. So, and he, no one's going to say no to him. Like, no, I'm king now. And he was, he had that kind of authority. He was forceful. He was like, no, I'm not waiting. I'm king now. We're going to, we're going to start making plans to do this invasion, blah, blah, blah. Tommen isn't like that. But if he were to, like, find some stones and just really start ordering people around... They would probably start listening because you don't want to say no to a king, even though he doesn't have full authority. Eventually he's gonna he have, will, yeah, and he will remember. And pay, and yeah. He'll remember that you said no to him, and you know, so like he's like he doesn't have the authority, but he kind of does, you know. So yeah, so it's really interesting, and we wonder if Cersei and Tommen will come into some conflict over what decisions they want to make. Yeah, because Cersei is kind of of this. It's only us that matter, like with Jamie's what Jamie's saying, and Tommen's like, us includes and Marjorie. Marjorie yeah. <laughs> and Cersei it doesn't, because Marjorie and, and Cersei aren't exactly best also, of friends. Also, on some level, something that matters to Tommen that doesn't to Cersei is 
uh, I don't know quite right what word to use here, but stability, fairness, uh, peace. Tommen doesn't want bloodshed. Cersei, when she went to talk to the High Sparrow, and like, he's praying right now. Cersei would have been like, all right, King Guard, Hector, we're going to see him. Yeah, know? But yeah. Tommen was like, oh, oh okay. He, he just hesitated. He leaves yeah. and tells Martin, there's no way to do it without bloodshed, you know. And this High Sparrow realized that. He's like, all right, <coughs> this guy is good, is just too complacent. He's complacent enough. We can, we can, you know, that gave them even more leeway to do their thing. Is there, they, they know the king is kind of stuck. He's kind of, his hands are tied yeah. in a sense. And, and, and I, even the way I describe it, when you say complacent, it's kind of negative. Like, I think it's good that he doesn't want bloodshed. You should find some other way. You can't right. just charge him with swords every time there's some conflict. I agree, know? yeah. I totally agree. All right, so one of the normal things we do, yeah, we've done in the past, one of the, our things that we often do at the beginning of the show, he didn't do it at the beginning of this show, but it's never too late. One of the things we like to talk about that our viewers in particular have shown interest in is, Sean, what are you drinking today? Uh, this is uh, one of those naked drinks. Oh, yeah. Um, I think it's uh, peach almond. Okay. Makes a Mountain Dew. I'm drinking coffee mixed with different coffee and chocolate. <laughs> <laughs> Did you put cayenne pepper in your, in your coffee? Hell no. Should I? I think you should try it. I oh, think yeah. spicy chocolate's good. Spicy I'll, coffee I'll try it once. I, guess. I thought you might have done it because I saw your coffee cup and the, the chocolate and cayenne pepper. <laughs> We're all sitting together. It's like, whoa, did he do that? <laughs> no. I do it. I'll totally I'll try it. it. I guess I'll try it. I'll try anything once. But I don't have high hopes for that. But, but I do like spicy chocolate. That's a good idea. All right. So let's talk about Tyrion and Varys. I, there's another kind of hidden parallel here. And because we didn't talk about these scenes consecutively. But they do happen consecutively on the show. Right after Doran is accused of not knowing his people. It's like, have you ever left this palace? Tyrion and Varys are out in the street saying, mm -hmm. we're not going to solve Marine's problem sitting at the top of an 800-foot pyramid. I was yeah. like, nice. Yeah. Nice. That's <laughs> clever. Even though I totally don't buy them being inconspicuous walking around like that. Yeah. Uh, they gave us a line of dialogue. Oh, we're dressed like merchants. But yeah. still, you're dressed like merchants and you're a midget. And you're the midget that was in the middle with of the, the arena. With the big facial scar. everyone knows is and you're you know, taken into the court. Yeah, yeah it's it's that, that part's like... And mm. Vars is also, his bald head is pretty... No, he should have... They should have had hoods. Maybe they want the audience to be able to recognize. But don't you think we'd recognize? Uh, yeah. I'm kind of nitpicking here, but I, at least they made this attempt to explain how they can walk around by looking like merchants. But I still feel like it would have been better to just have... Grey Worm or two guards, two, you know, something. I don't know. Maybe the guards could have been incognito. They're wearing hoods, too, you know, like yeah. the swords. Yeah, like, that you might know, be good. Yeah, yeah, that. Show that they're trailing from behind or something. But, yeah, they do have, they are really stubborn about showing, like, have people hiding like that. Even in battles, like, people don't wear, helmets. Don't wear helmets. Their faces are completely yeah. exposed. You can tell who they are. As, unreal, as, as horribly unrealistic as that is, it's, it's, a, it's a TV thing. And the to North, make, to know. this freezing yeah. weather. They would all have frostbitten ears and noses. <laughs> they would, there's no way. That I mean, it's like the... up with the huge coats and, like, nothing on your face Arguably, a breastplate is more important, but it's the second most important thing, if not the most important thing, is to cover yeah. your darn head yeah. in battle. <laughs> so, anyway. No, that's a minor complaint. Anyway, so, so Tyrion, but let's talk about what Tyrion and Varys actually discussed, which I think is pretty interesting, talking about how things are pretty bad in Marine. Even Danny's popularity is waning, because she's not there. Yeah. They feel abandoned. They're not wrong. They have been abandoned. It wasn't necessarily by her choice, but it looked kind of like it was to them, yeah. because she just rode yeah. off on this dragon. Not Everyone just knows there, her. but... Fled the city, you know? Yep, and that's what that's what Varus <laughs> even says, or Tyrion, one of them points that out. I was like, she does, it does appear that way, that she just flew off on a dragon. And so they're trying to fit, they, so they're trying to kind of unpack the situation, like who is responsible for these killings? Is it the freedmen? Is it the slave? Is it the, the masters? You'd think it would be the masters, but it could be the freedmen because they're suffering. And they run into the red priest, who's 
we're probably going to see more of this, I would expect. The Red Priest is just kind of telling everybody, he's like, Daenerys isn't here. you got to fight for yourselves. You know, you have to pick yourselves up by your bootstraps, and you have to do the... Well, they don't have boots, but, you know, <laughs> pick yourselves up by your sandal, sandal straps. straps. <laughs> and you got to fight for your rights. Because, you know, Danny isn't... Daenerys is not coming back, or that's, you know, that's how he feels. And it's interesting that they're getting riled up, and it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a simmering cauldron marine is you've got these slaves that feel abandoned that have plenty of reason to try and get violent you have the masters who want to restore their power who have been quite violent this whole time and whichever of those elements combine to make up the sons of the harpy well whether there's a leader or not we don't even know they certainly haven't they've lost men they've had plenty of guys die but they apparently are still a powerful force in marine that's kind of what the scene tells us is that they're still a big problem and then they, and the, to top it off, they burn the ships, which is kind of interesting because you were talking about how they could just give Danny a fleet with a line of dialogue. Well, they did initially. Dario's like, yeah, I captured the Miranese fleet, 90, 91 ships. Yeah. Well, they were destroyed. So they were gained in, a, in just a throwaway line, but they were destroyed quite spectacularly. It was kind of a cool scene seeing all those ships burn. It was kind of nice. Um, I don't understand the point of that. Like, if they want them gone, you think they sh- leave the ship so they have a way to leave. But now mm-hmm. it's like you're trapped here. We're going to kill you. Uh, so that's almost more sinister. But I wonder, like, I can imagine that the, the, the conspirators are, like, debating. Like, no, don't burn the ships. That's the one thing you should leave alone. Like, that's how they leave. We, we just want to scare it. We, if, we, if we make it hard enough for them, they'll just go and, and get on their ships and leave and take their Unsullied with them. You know, I, I imagine they argued over that. Yeah, maybe they could come back if they have ships. Maybe they want to destroy them and punish them, not just get them to leave. Uh, it's just, uh, for, to me, it just seems like it's a, it's a, it was a target they could access, maybe, so they took the opportunity. They just maybe it was even, it, it, theoretically, might have even, could have been an accident. They maybe didn't mean to burn the whole fleet, or mm. you know, the city could be in disarray in more ways than one, you know, like could be just a sign of mismanagement. You know, it should have guards around the ships. They're torn too thin, you know. That's kind of what I mean. Like they don't, whatever their opportunity is, they take it. And there's so yeah, many opportunities because yeah. they're—it's a huge city. And like Tyrion says, they're walking through these empty streets. It's like, well, this is this whole town is just like in fear. No one's at like the whole like the the business is ground to a halt. There's no one at the no one selling things. They're just out there. They're just people kind of walking around like looking both ways. Like who's you know everyone's afraid. He's right. It's really um, it's pretty interesting. And you wonder where where it's go where it's headed and. I don't think Danny's going to be back soon. I do think she'll eventually come back. But, I mean, as we'll talk about in a moment when we talk about Danny, she's, she's heading the opposite direction. Yeah. <laughs> like, she thought maybe she'd be turning back around once the call kind of accepted. But, nope. That's that. So, they don't, they're trying to figure out what to do without her. And they're kind of lost. At least they have the, they talk about how Varus is starting to send his spies out. His little birds are coming out. And Varus is confident. He thinks that, his little birds will help solve this problem. That they will find out who these leaders are. And that's going to be interesting to me. I wonder if there's going to be someone we actually know behind it all. But I don't know who that could be. Like, there aren't any named yeah. characters. Like, his daughter is quite dead. And who else is there? There was that that slave guy that was wanted to be a teacher again. I can't imagine it's him. Yeah. <laughs> but, like, Maybe who else is there? Maybe this slave trader that bought Joran Tyrion... Sure, I mean, he's not even Miranese, but geez, like something, I don't... Oh, no, that way, not the, yeah, the, the trader. I think I thought you meant the guy who sold them to him. But no, yeah, that guy, I guess he's still out there, you're right, maybe... Because there have been characters in the past that were just kind of like a splash on a screen that later on come back to be significant. That's Some, true. Sometimes they, their chance gets cut short like Serdantos. <laughs> uh, 
But uh, but other characters, you know, many characters have started off kind of minor in the background and rose to more prominence through the through the series. So maybe that could happen with that guy. But but yeah, I agree. I don't know. It's hard for me to conceive of where they're going over there. Also, what's it? How many more new characters can they bring up? Especially characters that almost has to be defeated. You know, to bring up another leader just to be killed. Uh, <clears throat> uh, it's part. I've I've said this before, and I feel like some other people made this comment that. Danny's just not as interesting, partly because she's just more removed from the more interactive plot lines like King's Landing and Lately the North, um, and also partly because it feels like she's just being put off. Like, eventually she's coming, we just gotta put her off for now, you know. And I, I sort of suppose this season might have a lot of that. I've been thinking about this a lot, that this season, you can only, there's only so much screen time. You can only have so many characters moving forward at once. They have to be economical and with their choices. If not, if not with the budget, they have to, <coughs> with, their, with the time they spend, yeah. Right, and the precedent has been set in a show, and if I understand right, in the books, to kind of like move forward with some characters and leave others behind, and then bring you back up to speed with them later. We had a whole season without Bran, you know. So I sort of expect, A, because there are so many different characters and storylines to keep up with, and B, on some level maybe to buy time for the book to come out, we're going to kind of slow down on certain storylines and spend more time on others, catching up with the Greyjoys or the Freys or something and not progressing too far with Arya or Danny. Hmm. And then another book can come out and then, you know what I mean? Honestly, I don't think that's going to have any impact on the book. I think waiting, I think <clears throat> what you're saying is has some truth to it, but the book aspect, I don't think that's going to, I don't think they can count on They have no idea when the book's going to come out. They can't count yeah. on it. And they honestly are going to have to start making season seven. Like, yeah, yeah like no right way they away. can finish. They the, can't wait. The they can't wait the for information. Yeah, yeah. They can't wait for information. So that, I don't know that I'm pretty sure they've decided what, if any new book material comes out, maybe they can adapt some of it. But I think they just have probably resigned to doing it all their on their own from this point on because they just can't, they can't, predict when they'll have new info and they'll already be possibly too far past this new info yeah. by the time it comes around and anyway. it makes you wonder how much overarching stuff george has decided or shared with them you know like apparently some important high points but not th like the details it's kind of up to them yeah. but the, the i think like the the big high points i think some of them are theirs but even those they're gonna have to change some of because they had to get there by a different route and the finished points might be different than you know what george had envisioned i have said this many times too to me at least way more important how things happen than what happened that you know those those moments of good performance like Cersei as Marcella comes up and you know uh, kind of considering the morality behind a vow things like that that's more interesting to me than the details of like who won some sword battle you know what I mean uh, so I can I still am enjoying this show however it plays out versus how the book plays out which you know how the books play out anyway. <laughs> so, but uh, I'm trying on some level to to relate to to book readers who might be expecting plot points to line up. But I think it's more valuable to learn about these characters and consider how you would behave in these situations and think about the nature of society and religion and stuff like that to to enjoy the moments of surprise or sadness or performances. You know, there's so much the beauty of some of the cinematography and the costumes and everything. There's way more to enjoy about this or any show than the plot points. But it's also a pretty epic plot. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> pretty yeah, yeah. intricately woven. For sure. Uh, epic story. So. Okay, so let's talk about the our last two <clears throat> locations, and then we'll do our credits and talk about the trailer for next season. Or next episode, rather. Episode two. <laughs> two more locations? What do we have still? Well, it's they're two related locations. We have Jorah and Dario. And then we have Danny. Okay, okay. Yeah. So Jorah and Dario searching for Danny. We'll start with them. There's not a whole lot to go through there. They have an interesting conversation, a little bit of back and forth. 
Dario talks about, you know, he thinks of Jorah as kind of what he might be when he's older. And Jorah mentions kind of fatally, you know, fatalistically, like, if you get to be this old. <laughs> mm-hmm. And you wonder, like, there's maybe a little undertone of Jorah maybe taking out Dario himself at some point or them coming to blows. But on the but it's it's maybe so subtle that it wasn't actually there. I'm not sure if I'm reading into it or not. Did you get that impression or did you I got something a little bit different. I got a little bit more of Jorah considering he might be closer to death than even Dario. You think I'm old? I'm old and I have grayscale. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. I think he's really like facing the end of his life. That's that's more I I don't think that he's like maneuvering to take out Dario. I think he's maneuvering to make sure he finished his life outright. Mm-hmm. Okay, I, I can buy that. Yeah, I think he's he's when you have that certainty of death. I suppose some of these smaller things don't matter as much. Your rivalries with other people and your you know your jealousies and things you didn't get out of life matter less when you just have so little time left and you want to you just focus on the what the few things that you think are important. So it was, a, it was an interesting scene. I you know we complained about the, the the problem the problems with finding the ring in the middle of the Dothraki Sea is pretty awkward. We don't need to dwell on that. We talked about it plenty beforehand. <laughs> so let's not even go there. Uh, but it's it's I love the scenery. It was really neat. That whole area it was clearly filmed in the same location. It was really neat. Like you get the little fog shrouded cliffs. That was pretty cool. And clearly you can tell that it's a they're still pretty far away from wherever Danny is because the the. The terrain is much different where she yeah. is. It's a lot. Yeah. There's no. There's no uh, grass. It's deserty. The mountains are sandy instead of darker and green. Um, For other ways they might be, you still think they should be able to close in on them because two men on a horse can travel way faster than thousands. And now that they're on their trail, as perhaps un- as perhaps unrealistic as that is, now that they're on their trail, it's easy to find easy them to because it's them, like yeah. he says, it's a horde. They're following a horde. Yeah. That's not hard to do when there's so many tracks. So, yeah. So that, so that we don't, we really don't know how that's going to play out. Like Jorah and Dario just riding towards a Dothraki colossar. It just seems kind of suicidal, <laughs> but that's how dedicated they are. And you know, maybe they have they have plot armor. Perhaps <laughs> I don't think Jorah is going to get killed before the grayscale. Something happens with that. We're even reminded of it in that yeah. previously on last season. They made a big deal out of showing. It. I think that's going to be a big part of his arc. So he's not going to die before at least infecting. A person or several, I think. I think uh, it would be. Yeah. A, it would be. That would be really weird to me. I mean, it's not, that doesn't make it impossible, just because it's weird to me. But I, re- I feel very strongly that something's going to happen before he's killed. If not, you know, he may even he may last for a while and it affect could, several and if, people. <laughs> yeah, it could. And if it did, it w- it would make sense. And I wouldn't be surprised by it. But I also wouldn't be surprised if it's just like draw, you know, countdown the end of his days, and and it doesn't necessarily spread. Uh, well, once people even, know that he's got it, though, then no one's going to even. Then he'll be ostracized or exiled, yeah. which might be all the more reason for him to thrust himself into a sacrificial moment mm. before anyone finds out. Before he, he might also not want to hurt. He doesn't want to affect people. He might know that it's dangerous, but he's got to finish this mission first. You know. Yeah. Yeah. And so the first time there's like a, a crazy moment where usually you would negotiate or run, he might just charge in like, <laughs> I'll save you, Danny. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's talk about Danny specifically. Uh, let's, she's in a long slave train and gets talk, kind of gets talked down to by some riders, but she kind of just shrugs it off and doesn't even reveal to them that she speaks Dothraki. Once she's presented to call Moro, then she shows her spine. It's a, it reminds me of Brandon and Ned's conversation. The only time you can be brave is when you're afraid. She's clearly afraid. She's got no control. But she's still got a spine. She still can talk to him like she's a queen. She's, she doesn't 
she looks him straight in the eye. She doesn't bow. She doesn't, you know, show any fear at all. And to be fair, that's not only shows how brave she is, but that's the right thing to do. Yeah. Do you yeah. show strength, and that's the only chance she has is especially to show- her understanding this culture. Yeah. Exactly, they are a warrior macho culture, and she's showing if you are a woman who they look down on, they look down on women, and she's this woman that's talking back to a call. She's not afraid of a call. Like, that is like, okay. And that's why he's like, I like her. She has spirit. You know, yeah, that's the kind of respectful, kind of, that's the, that's a respectable behavior because she's not afraid. And they, they value courage most of all. So the number one thing that a warrior society values is courage. They would have liked Miranda. <laughs> they would have liked Miranda. That's true. She's good with Bo, too. They're like, they like good at archery. So also the scene had a, probably the best or second best, whichever you prefer, comedic moment. Which reminds me a bit of Conan the Barbarian. Like, what is best in life? You know, yeah. is that whole thing, which is actually apparently a, 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 taken from a real quote by Genghis Khan, or the quote ascribed to Genghis Khan. What is best in life? To to crush your enemies, to see the women driven, you know, hear the to see their uh, see them driven before you, and to hear the lamentations of the women. And this is kind of directly related to that. Like the best things in life is like, what's better than seeing a naked woman? It's like. Take killing another call. He's like, yeah, right, you got me there. He's like, oh, conquering a city. He's like, all right, yeah, you got me there. Too. That was hilarious. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> like, it one of the five me, greatest things. It reminded me of a, a Dilbert cartoon. <laughs> uh, have I told you about this before? There's one, okay, so the boss character, he's got like this board behind. It's like a meeting. Everyone's in the conference room or whatever. And he's like pointing at the board. It says quality. He says, quality is the most important thing. And immediately everyone's hands, all the employees' hands go up, right? And, and he's like, I thought safety was the most important thing. <laughs> I thought the customer was the most important thing. What about integrity? Should we be willing to sacrifice integrity for the sake of quality? And, and the boss is like, quality is one of the most important things. <laughs> yeah. Right up there with seeing a woman naked for the first time. Very similar. <laughs> so, and then we get to see uh, just how deep the Dothraki beliefs run. This call apparently is a bit of a traditionalist, which is normal. You, you Leaders tip often show respect to their culture's religion because it's a source of their power. If you go against the the beliefs of a culture, it gives another aspiring leader leverage against you to draw away your followers or to get more followers or to just cause conflict or to to, to distract people from the the main issue. So this guy, no qualms there. He's a a Dothraki believer and he believes in their religion and their religion says that all dead calls, why? All dead... All Khaleesi's, all widowed Khaleesi's, geez, hard to say, are sent to the Dosh Kaleen, which is the, where all the, the widows live out their days. They have to, it's a religious thing, and they're sacred, but they don't, they don't have freedom either. You know, I thought it was interesting that Danny, she's trying to stand up to him, trying to tell him who she is, and spouts off all these titles. And one, I thought his response was really good. When he like, was you like, are, you're, the, you're a noble. You're the millionth, millionth name, of your name. You know, I, think, I thought I liked his yeah. response. But then she's like, I was married to Carl Drogo. And then he's like, oh, oh. Then he like takes oh, his hand oh, out and oh, like, I mean, whoa. Like, you're free. I don't know. Sorry about all that. Yeah. And in my mind, I was like, he should have told him that first. Yeah. <laughs> but then I see why she didn't. Because like, oh, okay. I see. Well, I won't lie with you. Yeah, but she's trying to we're that. taking you to... Uh, What's it called again? Bosch Mer- to Vase Dothrak. Vase Dothrak. The Dosh Kaleen is the yeah. group, is the, the, the widows. And I, I feel like she kind of knew that that's why she didn't say it first, because she knew what it would mean if she said that. Yeah. But that but uh, but overall, that plot line is really just getting going, and we ne- don't necessarily have a lot to say about it yet. Well, it's kind of a wait and see. A lot of the plots are just being introduced. It is the first episode. A lot happened in that episode, but there is a lot of setup, and I 
there's expected. a lot more to happen. A lot of characters there we is. still haven't seen. Yeah, yet. it's true. So we'll talk about who we haven't seen and what we expect, maybe when we expect to see them, and we'll talk about the next on, which is always at the end of every episode. So if you don't want to hear any of that, if you don't want to be spoiled, because we're going to dig into maybe some trailer things, some things that are maybe you would only know if you really looked closely at the trailers and things like that. It's a little spoilery. If you want to avoid that, sign off now or listen to our credits. We've got a couple of thanks first. Thanks to Joey Townsend for the music and to Jesse Kowal for the cover of the music that we play at the end. Thanks to our Patreon supporters. If you are new to the show, we have a Patreon campaign. You can find it at www.historyofwesteros.com. There's a Patreon button there, which allows you to pledge uh, an amount every month to History of Westeros, anywhere from a dollar to, well, as big as you want it to be. And that will get you some special benefits, some early access to episodes, not TV episodes, because these we put them out as quickly as possible. We don't have time to hold on to them for any extra time. we got to put them out as quickly as possible. But for our regular non-TV show episodes, lots of bonuses like that. We also have these cool titles that we like to give out to people that are Patreon supporters. If you don't want to work on Patreon, if you don't, if Patreon isn't for you, you can make a straight donation to History of Westeros. Once again, historyofwesteros.com. There's a donate button up there. Straight PayPal donation. Very very simple. No, no, no signing up for anything. Just... One and done. Whatever you feel comfortable with giving, we be, we very very appreciative of it. All adds up, and it helps support the show. Helps us buy new equipment. People who've been with the show for a while have seen we've really done a lot to improve the show. I hope you all have noticed that, and I hope you all appreciate that we've done that. And I hope you appreciate the people who have helped the show to make that happen because we couldn't have done it without that support. So specifics. Thanks to First Lord Cash Craig, Hand of the King, Lord of Mines, Lord of Makers, and the Black Pupil. Thanks to Lord Jim the Fortuitous of Wars and Politics of Ice and Fire blog and Warden of the West. Thanks to Lord George Stormsville the Cunning, Lord of the Chiliad and Warden of the East. Lord John Reed of Castle Woodbridge, the Lord Borealis, is the Light of the North and Warden of the North. We are currently without a Warden of the South. We have Rory the Rogue, Archer Extraordinaire, and King Beyond the Wall, who perhaps is taking over for Mance Raider in our alternate reality after subjugating yet another tribe, the Northern Valley of the Thens. Not the whole valley. It's pretty big. That'll take some time. But he's on his way. The small council is made up of Lord James Inkblade, the Scholar Knight, Master of Whispers. We are without a Grand Maester now. Thanks to Grand Maester Itai for his long years of service. Not everyone can last forever. Being a Grand Maester is a tough job, after all. We really appreciate his long service. Law. Lord Robert Jacobs is our Master of Coin. Rosie the Clever is our Master of Laws. And Lord James Tuttle is our Master of Ships. Lady Dyerliz of Castle Naki is the Alpha Patron. Lord Dan of the Red Mountains and Castle Great Bell is Breaker of the Second Stone. Lord Skip of the Velt, Lord of Castle Ganges. Kabeth the Unfrozen is Lord of the Bricks and Castle Crimson Light. Lord Damon Sand the Resilient is Wielder of the Valyrian Steel Spear, Swansong. Mary Meg is Lady of the Bloody Stepstones. Gregor the Toasty is Lord of the Breadfort. Alicia Everlasting of the Greenblood is Lady of Desert Rose. Geoffrey the Unflinching is Lord of Sand Lake. Lord Grey Bay of the Queen City. Lord Ryan of Castle Stonegate, Guardian of the Rocky Mountain Pass. Lord Garen de Havilland of Devil's Hand Keep, Lord Brandon Slate in the North's Hammer, Harbinger of the Old Gods, and Lady Bram, Light of Winter's Garden, Beacon of the Northwest. We also have King's Justice Sir Troy the Steady, wielder of the Valyrian Steel Blade Fate. Lord Commander Shepard is our Lord Commander of our King's Guard. And our History of Westeros Night's Watch is headed up by Lord Commander George the Golden and assisted by First Ranger Fabian Flowers, the Bastard of Greenshield. So thanks to all those, and of course, thanks to you, Sean, for coming back and joining us for Season 6. Let's talk a bit, since we have a couple minutes left. We're trying to keep this under two hours. 
let's talk a little bit about what we expect to see next week. First of all, we expect to see the things we haven't seen yet. We haven't seen Sam yet and Gilly, so we yeah. expect to really expect to see that. That maybe that'll wait till episode three. I haven't actually seen Loras yet. Although yeah. we expect that's tied in with some of these other King's Landing plots, and Marjorie was asking about him, so we kind of expect that to be somewhat soon. Littlefinger, we haven't seen him yet. Any others? Did I miss anyone? Uh, well, I don't think you missed anyone that we're kind of like coming off of, but there's still people that forever ago I want to know what's going on with <laughs> like Walter Frey, Gendry, and the Walter Frey, and Gendry, yeah, yep, yep. Uh, Those we have no guarantees on when they'll happen. <laughs> the trailer makes it clear that we will see Walter Frey this year. Blackfish. Given that we'll see Walter Frey, we'll probably see Blackfish. That's oh, not confirmed. Brand, we haven't seen Brand. Brand, of course. Yeah, we sure mentioned we'll him earlier. You're right. Brand, yeah. of course. We'll see. The, and Brand is specifically seen in the trailer <coughs> as being in this next episode. We see yeah, like a yeah. quick shot of him. So the, the long-awaited return of Brand after more than eleven episodes of being and we know absent. from trailers that there are Greyjoys. I can't remember if the trailer for this next episode showed any Greyjoys. I don't stuff. think it did. But we so might. So we maybe we may be a whole another week away from them. Maybe that won't be till episode yeah. three. They got pretty deep into the last season before we saw the Sansix, before we saw Dorne, right? Yeah, that. Maybe the third I, episode? Third or fourth, yeah. yeah. Maybe even fifth. I don't remember. I'm not sure. Well. It's hard to, yeah, it's all a blur. Deep, but it might, yeah. It's all a blur. <laughs> we know, yeah, certainly, well, the fifth episode was called Unbound, Unbent, Unbroken, so I guess it was, which is their motto, the Martell motto, but maybe we saw, maybe that was their second when they started to really get it going. Anyway, yeah. that's not important. Um, we, we hear a talk of the Boltons t- discussing and attacking Castle Black. Yeah. Because they yeah. expect Sansa went there. And that could get real ugly because <laughs> the Wildlings will be there. Wildlings don't love Boltons. Boltons don't uh, love Wildlings. In fact, it might be interesting because I can imagine, yeah, if they both show up at the same time, like maybe both with this intention, because I can imagine that Ramsey and whatever Bolton troops go might, in their mind, expect confrontation. They might. They, he even said it's undefended from the south. You know, we, we might be able to go uh, attack them. Uh, and he's going to show up and Jon Snow's already dead, so they might not be an ally. If Sansa shows up, do, do they hate John enough that they wouldn't accept her there? You know, like if she even gets it's there. It's really hard to say. If the yeah. wildlings Who's going to be in charge up? when she gets there? Yeah. If she gets there. Yeah. When, and, but let's say the wildlings and the Boltons both show up at the same time. They fight each other. Would the wall take part? Would one side be on the other? It's, it's nice Probably thing. not all happening next episode, but it's... Uh, it's coming and we, we don't... Yeah, it's a great thing. It's because I like when we can't figure it out. I like when we can sometimes because it's kind of gratifying. It's like ego gratifying. I always figured that out. This, I have no idea. Just some ba- basic concepts only. So I'm, I like being in the dark. That's one thing I like a lot. As, as I said, of course, I'm a book reader and, you know, I'm not one of those... I'm not a book snob. And in particular, I'm happy that we're in uncharted territory. I think it's really cool. Even even though some of these things might spoil book plots for me down the road, I don't really care, honestly. I care a little bit, but I think it's going to be different. And, you know, this isn't... I, I don't I don't love Game of Thrones for the surprises. I mean, I do like the surprises. They're great. But it's not the it's not number one. It's pretty far down the list. I, I didn't re- reread the books a bunch of times because I didn't... Because I forgot <laughs> what happened. You know, I love... The, it's the journey. It's the process. That's really fun. It's so enjoyable even when you know what's going to happen. Exactly. The TV show, I mean, because of the acting, the sets, the scenery. There's so many just beautiful things to look at. The music. It's, it's well done in a lot of ways. As many criticisms as we have... Like Sean said at the beginning, we still love it. No I've said this a million times. If going into season one, you knew Ned Stark was going to die. That doesn't keep it not from being interesting. Yeah, you're almost like, how? Why? Yeah. What? Who? <laughs> you still are like, no. Yeah. So, yeah, it's great. They, do, they, they can keep us interested <coughs> even when we know it's going to happen, which is great. Um, other things that we expect to see, maybe even a conflict between Tommen and Cersei. It looks like there's something happening yeah, there. Because like, yeah. the, the, there's Lannister guards facing off with Cersei and, and, and the undead Robert yeah. Strong. Like, how does that come down? I so. assume Tom had just said, 
don't let anyone in. And so there's Lannister guards standing outside, not letting anyone in. But when Cersei comes, this is the first time she's come, she's in jail, you know. They're probably just going to let her. I don't think the mountain's going to have to, like, chop down land. I think they'll stand aside. <laughs> yeah, like, probably. She's the queen. She's his mom. The mountain's going to kill us. They're okay, not going to kill her. Go. Yeah, like, that's yeah. just, like, yeah, I can't. That's hard to, that's hard to swallow. And Jamie seems to come in conflict with the High Septon at the, at the, at the yeah, Sept. He's yeah. threatening him and, and says, you know, the Sparrow says, you wouldn't spill blood here. He's like, the gods spill more blood than all of us put together. So ja- and Jamie's got that fierce, like, I will kill you look in his face. Looks very intense. I'm curious how that gets Would all get started. anywhere? Do you think if Jamie killed the High Sparrow, the Sept, everyone would be like, all right, we'll just let the prisoners go now. No. You know? Would he be, now be the Sparrow Slayer instead of the King Slayer? Would that be a bigger deal than him killing the King yeah. <laughs> killing the High Sparrow? Probably not, but it would be more recent and fresh in people's minds. Yeah. It would certainly cause a fresh conflict. And we also have more with Arya and the Waif, but there's nothing terribly revealing about that. But we have we also have Tyrion and a face of a dragon breathing fire. So I think we're going to see yeah. Tyrion interact with the dragons next episode. Maybe they get free. I, I can't imagine they just stay locked up forever, right? Like, that seems really hard to believe. So, a lot to look forward to. And this will be, I think it'll be a lot of fun season. It'll have its ups, it'll have its downs. We're going to have fun with it regardless. We'll make the most of it, even if it's not great. And if it is great, well, hell, we all win that way. So we'll close out here for now. Back next week with another one. And we're also back on Wednesday with an episode for book readers. That'll be with our guests, Radio Westeros. Hopefully familiar with them. If not, you'll get to know them soon. So on behalf of Sean, on behalf of Shea, who is our producer again, Valor Margolis, and enjoy season six. Just getting started. See you next time, folks.